the examination of the galaxies of space, images begin to appear. Images of strange and powerful forces. But of all the forces in the universe, the two most powerful, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, prepare to explode. Champion versus champion, title for title. It's the ultimate challenge. It's WrestleMania. Welcome back to the Four Podmen with me, your host, Ian the Dynamo Kelly, the shopkeeper, Niall Hogan, Carl Kingo, and of course, he's not new anymore. It's the second show, the DJ, Mr. Jason Kennedy. How are you doing, lads? Oh, hey, well, all good. All good, yeah. 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 Obviously, by the time this comes out, people are going to be very happy and surprised because we had a lot of great feedback after the last show um crazy very very crazy probably record uh, amount of downloads in the first week of any of the shows that we've had so want to just say thank you to everyone thanks folks i think they're going to be really happy that this has come out like literally about two and a half three weeks later um obviously we're trying to make amends for the missed time um, mm. and as promised we are going to talk about wrestlemania 6 one of the uh in my opinion, one of the one of the best WrestleManias um, of all time. Probably, yeah, probably because it's it's a lot of nostalgia for us guys personally, um, mm. but also it's a stacked card. The matches are nice and short. They tell a story, and there's lots going on in between it. So uh, let's get down to it, lads. Um, Toronto Skydome, April first, nineteen ninety, but it was no well. pay per view. That's for sure. Um, Jesse or uh, Gorilla Monsoon opens the show in that infamous Gorilla Monsoon voice that only he can. Sixty-five thousand strong in the Sky Dome as the uh, as the old air blimp that Vince used to like having going around the arena pans out into the massive crowd for the Sky Dome. It was actually awesome because it wasn't like WrestleMania Three where you look at the floor and you see lots of empty spaces at the back. This was just yeah. absolutely stacked. Round. Um, and you could, it was one of those, even even to this day, and I've watched it twice in the week again, um, you can actually feel the magic just from the opening segment. Again, it's probably a lot to do with the with that old mania music and Vince McMahon giving his best opening promo <laughs> ever. They all turn a challenge. <laughs> just unbelievable. Um, <laughs> but it did, it had magic. And then, of course, it goes straight into the, to what I consider the best commentary duo for me of all time, Jesse Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon. I don't think, I know Heenan and Monsoon had great chemistry as well, but I think Jesse and Monsoon had just had the best chemistry. Jesse could have good chemistry with anyone though. He had it with McMahon too, which was 
Yeah. Probably Vince's best team, to be fair. But uh, we have Jesse and Gorilla on this one. And uh, it goes straight into the Canadian National Anthem. Uh, and for any fans of Will Ferrell out there, they're going to go straight. Goulet! Robert Goulet is Goulet. <laughs> Uh, that's why I come up here. <laughs> that's why I come up here. <laughs> it's a cigar and a nice glass of bourbon. Uh, yeah. Goulet hits out a belter of a national anthem, i got to say. I uh, skipped it. You skipped Well, I watched it, you know. Yeah. Pretty nice. You, pretty nice. you won. Canada. Well, you know, <laughs> the queen on their money. Shout out to all our Canadian friends here. Uh, not, from, not from Kennedy, obviously, but uh, like I say, he's the heel of the team. Up the Fort and Raz. <laughs> so uh, once we get the <laughs> national anthem out of the way, we get into the first match of the night, which, to be honest with you, is a. I I I, I enjoyed it probably because it is the first match of the night. Everyone should enjoy the first match of the night. Coco Beware versus Rick oh. the Model Martel, and my good lord, does the model look great? Looks great, absolutely. He was brilliant. I loved Rick Martel. You know what? Love them. Jesse Ventura comes out during uh, Rick Martel's entrance. He comes out with a line which I think is brilliant, and Jay is going to like this one. Jesse says to Gorilla Monsoon that Robert Goulet reminds him of Axel Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon says, Who's that? And he goes, What do you mean, who's that? He's the singer of Guns N' Roses, Gorilla. And he's like, All right. <laughs> you can tell Jesse. You can tell Jesse is just having the banter here. Like Robert Goulet's performance reminds him of Axel Rose. Axel Rose. <laughs> and, and Robert Goulet's twang from side to side. Like. And and that, <laughs> that's that's the thing. It's a it's something that we noticed throughout the show. The banter between Jesse and Gorilla is just nonstop for three and a half hours. Um, something beautiful, without a doubt. But um, yeah, Martel, classic arrogant heel. Yeah, um, great physique, great look, <clears throat> the arrogance with him. Um, and then Coco, the master of the drop kicks and the brain buster. Uh, and Frankie, and, the Frankie of course, and a hell of a singer, a hell of a singer. <laughs> you could call him a crooner if you wanted, in fact. That's how good he is. Um, but I noticed as well, it was a fast paced opening, exactly what an opening match should be, in my opinion. Um, yeah. it wasn't a long match, maybe five or six minutes, fast paced. Um, great fire in uh, in Coco Beware's shine as well. He comes back, you know, he plays to the crowd. Martel cuts him off, and then Martel is playing to the crowd. You see, you see something that's so so often now. It's just it's overutilized. The yeah. goes line over the top, and of course, there's time then for uh, for the ref to actually emphasize the countdown. And, and of course, Coco Beware because he's only about five foot two, his uh, <laughs> bits because it's such a big fall. And the model is just playing to the crowd. He's doing a little strut. He's looking sexy as hell. And uh, it was just a great little match, lads. What did you think? Was there any build-up to that, was there? Was that uh, a rivalry? Not or? really. That's just a standard show-up. It was just like a throw-up throw to get on my... That would have been on the pre-show nowadays type thing. Probably, but I mean, that's exactly <laughs> what you want in an opening match. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. A baby face and a heel. Um... You see, you see Rick Martel coming off the top with a double axe handle when the axe handle actually meant something. Yeah. Um, and then he goes straight from that into a backbreaker and then he attempts the Boston Crab, which is just perfect psychology. <laughs> and he's trying to weaken that back to get the Birdman into the Boston Crab. 
And then I think, what, I think, I thought, what I thought was brilliant here, something that you don't hear in commentary anymore, lads. I don't know whether you noticed it, but they, they spend a bit of time back and forth where Coco Beware is trying to get to the rope. His arms are too short to get to the rope, but he gets it under the rope and the ref calls it. And Jesse Ventura <laughs> says to the Gorilla Monsoon that uh, that was such a cheap, cheap move. <laughs> such a cheap move, Gorilla. And he goes, what do you mean? He's trying to get out of the hole. Yeah, to go under the ropes. That's cheap. <laughs> you know, it's the little things in that match. But um, yeah, Martel fights off a bit of a comeback and wins by Boston Crab because the back has been so fucked because he's been thrown over the top rope. He's been hit with a double axe handle into the into the spine. Can't be an old axe handle. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and he wasn't allowed to use the sharpshooter. <laughs> wasn't allowed, yeah. French Canadian. That's what we deserve for real Canadians. <laughs> um, so I, I thought it was a great opener, lads. It was. Was there any bit of nostalgia when you went back and watched that to see the difference in, in, in that yeah. style of wrestling versus now? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. There's always a difference when you watch stuff from our, from our era, we'll say, yeah, compared yeah. to today. Like it, it just feels, even now, looking at even little clips, it still looks like it's just something special, you yeah. know? Uh, it really was an event, watching the WrestleMania back when we were kids, like, you know. So, uh, but like that first match was, uh, yeah, I never liked Coco Beware. I just, I was just never. Ooh, no, ooh. I know, I know. Yo, I, I really like. Uh, I really, I really I have to say, I really like the mid card heels. I did. The more I think about it, you know. All those, all those animal right activists on straight away. Hell Frankie the was thing. a star. Oh, Frankie was alright. Frankie was a star. Uh, I had no problem with the bird. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie was the real star of that show. <laughs> oh, you know what? What I appreciated watching with that match now as an adult, uh, back when you're a kid, there's so you, you don't notice anything happening on screen. You just know you're watching wrestling. You know it's dark. You know sure. you should be in fucking bed, and you know you don't give a fuck. Yeah, and yeah. You're excited, you see nothing. But what I noticed about watching this card now, and particularly that match, Rick Martel was cut off different cloth from a whole generation of wrestlers. Yeah. Anywhere yeah. else, he's a fucking champ. Like. He yeah. looked good, he talked good, he worked. Do you know what? In a time of two belts, that man would have wore gold anywhere else. You know? I agree. He was, yeah. he was AWA champion at one point, wasn't he? He was, but we never got that on TV here. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. Obviously, obviously, other companies saw the value, like, is what I mean. You know, 100%, he rose to the top, and then they picked him up and had him open in WrestleMania 6, which was a, let's face it, like, in the first. 12 years of mania I don't believe there was a bigger mania you know no. I don't think there was one that transcended international fucking borders like this and it's only when you look back now like you said Ian already Jesus Christ I could listen to Jesse talk to Gorilla all night and it didn't matter what they were talking about yeah. they, could be, they could be commentating an episode of the Golden Girls and I am fucking <laughs> yeah. you know? I'm in they could I'm in. They could. It was a second level of entertainment with that commentary duo. There was such a charisma and friendship between them, but it didn't matter what they were saying. Jesse could be talking about something in the fuck on the ceiling in the rafters, and you'd you'd listen intently, you know. Yeah, I think the commentary, the commentary, yeah, the commentary kind of made the bland look amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Very, very good point. I mean, I don't think this match was bland in fairness, but there is going to be some that do pop up throughout the show, and I think Cotton Noyle's actually right there. You, you need popcorn you know, breaks. 
Yeah, absolutely. And these two boys, like, they earn their money, you know, on these shows. Like, you know, three and a half hour shows. But uh, we go we go into the classic old school WrestleMania here where we go into breaks and we go back. We go into the back with those beautifully prosthetic locker rooms. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> love them. Love them. Yeah. Uh, I love the idea of all the heels sharing one room. Just oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's exactly what we had when we had Hasbro figures. The heels stayed in one box and the faces stayed in the other box. Kayfabe. Kayfabe, man. Kayfabe before we even knew what it actually meant. It worked. Me and Gene goes back to the uh, the colossal <laughs> connection. And what a colossal connection they are. This is double duty tonight. We've got me and Gene and Sean Mooney basically, you know, pulling on, you know, t- again, Two of the best uh, backstage interviewers ever. I mean, Sean Mooney was great yeah. radio voice. You know, he had the youth in there. He was always <coughs> enthusiasm. Whereas Mean Gene was just mm. a goat when it comes ah. to, you know. It's funny. If you ever go back and you look at Mean Gene interviewing guys, right? You see when guys stutter and they don't know where to go. He's literally on them like a light bulb. Yeah. To cover them. That, brilliant. Was, that was just what, what was genius about him. Um, but Sean Mooney interviews the demolition then. They're short promos. We get into a uh, into a, a tag team championship match for the tag team titles, the best looking tag belts of all time. Yeah, shout out. Um, Deadly looking. And here come the axe, and here come the smasher. That entrance music. Uh-huh. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Love demolition. Yeah. Love the unbelievable. Unfairly, unfairly compared to the LOD or the Road Warriors. At yes. Point, yeah, I mean they were more of an S and M version. To be fair, let's be fair. <laughs> you know. Even, even, even just looking at fucking whenever, whenever Smash talks again, it's a vestige of a past era. He's just so competent with his words and his yeah. delivery, and he's just yeah. He'd be reading the six o'clock news to you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And here's six o'clock news by Smash. The mustache still comes here. Well, the he, was the he, was, he was the sponsored Red Bull athlete of the tag team. Yeah. <laughs> he was, uh, he had one. He had one eye on the repo man, repo man gimmick while he was yeah. rocking that mustache as well. But, um, so it's it's a great listen. I thought it was actually a good tag team match. Uh, mm-hmm. Aku sneak attack straight away. Classic heel work in the ring, working with Smash. Obviously, Andre can't do a lot at this stage. Yeah, Haku took most of it, didn't he? He did he most did, of that. Yeah. Yeah. Haku, what a worker Haku was. Yeah, scary Legit. man. Yeah, legit tough guy. Yeah. <laughs> when you look at when you look at them, right, and you look at now, and you you look at the young. I know I'm going to use the young books just as an example, but like you could use any tag team. The size of these boys in that ring, yeah. you know. They're not Imagine all... any tag team where he's the the hot tag, like where we're fucking, you know, he's the guy who takes the punishment for two and a half minutes, and you're waiting on Andre to be slapped. Lads, I'll tell you a story now. I sat beside Haku at WrestleMania 24. You've never seen a back or a neck like it in your yeah. life, except for Jurassic Park. You've never seen anything like it. The lad is scary. I was legit shitting myself looking for a yeah. photo and an autograph. Well, it should be. It should be, you know. Now, in the end, he got told. This man likes to take eyeballs out of schools. So, you know. I, I couldn't believe he was sitting with me on the 150th route. What was that about? Uh, <laughs> it was the only way you could get past security. It got tighter the further <laughs> in you got, like... Yeah. Nah, he'd have been, been, been 200 kids with him. He'd have been for any fans, yeah. Um, yeah. But I thought it was a great, great match. Like, you know, 
good psychology in the match. Kind of ends with Haku um, super kicks Andre by mistake into the ropes. Classic Andre was always able to get into those ropes perfectly. Um, yeah. And demolition. Then of course they they take over and they win the they win the titles. They're your new champions. After that was they were tr- three times. That was the third time winning it. Then it was yeah. So there you yeah, go. So. Um, after the match, then of course this is this is the great great psychology here. It's something I noticed in this as well. Bobby Heenan doing his fucking job that he was always great at as a manager, coming in, playing the dickhead, going at Andre, getting sympathy from the crowd for Andre. People finally, are we going to see an Andre face turn? Are we going to see him third? And he does. And one thing I noticed when Andre, this is obviously how much respect you know Andre had for Heenan personally. You see the slaps he goes and he pulls one. And it misses by yeah. almost a mile. But what I thought was, and I know, Jay, you're not the biggest fan of Heenan, but in terms of his work, he doesn't sell it. He doesn't sell that slap, which I thought was brilliant from Heenan. Mm. If you'd see wrestlers now going, oh, and you'd be like, oh, don't do that. But he misses, and he, it's like he obviously says to Andre, hit me again, hit me again. And Andre leaves a little bit of a heavier one in, and then Bobby, Bobby sells it. Just genius work, I thought. Um, just, it just a such a brilliant send-off for Andre. Such yeah. a brilliant send-off. Yeah. Really well. Like, you know the way some wrestlers are asked what they want for their send-off, and it would be, well, I want to take paper at Mania or something. He just wanted to turn on Bobby Heenan. It was fantastic. It was yeah. and, and Heenan obviously had too much respect to sell that for Andre to make Andre look bad, too. He's like, no, who wants to leave one in on me? He does. I mean, yeah. it's kind of both ways. It's, it's Heenan. It's, it's Andre having respect that he doesn't want to hurt Heenan, obviously, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Andre takes over Haku and beats Haku down, and he gets, as you say, Noel, he gets a send off back into the little ring. Yeah. Unbelievable ovation. That was brilliant. Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. Personally, anyone else want to add on to that match? It's just what you said, basically, Bobby mm. fucking Heenan. And that man could turn Judas split baby face. You know what I mean? He's just he's yeah. he's gold to watch. Powerful, powerful. Every second, every second of him. Powerful, powerful, um, powerful stuff. And then we, yeah. we break again into the backstage, into those beautiful sets in the background that will probably, you know, they, they're still a million dollars to me. Even though <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they really were. Um, Oakland interviews Earthquake with Jimmy Hart. And this is the this is the era. This is the beginning of the era of gimmick names. Yeah. The Earthquake. And Earthquake, in fairness, John Tenta, very, very underrated big man, in my opinion, too. Very agile. Very agile, and he could work. Yeah. He actually cuts a hell of a promo here, but what I notice is mm. all these guys with the gimmick names, the promo revolves around what happens with an actual earthquake. <laughs> with, with, you know, <laughs> when the earth shifts and it cuts its core, and you're like, whoa, this is this is good stuff. <laughs> I mean, I think it's great. <laughs> um, did you notice that as well back in the day, Noel? You've had conversations with this before. It was the same with uh, with Tumpboat when he became Typhoon as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when I oh, when I came when when he was the one man gang. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> Who we were? Who was finisher? Who was finisher? Was that Ghostbuster? Oh my god, <laughs> that front face suplex! Holy god! Brilliant! Oh, yeah. We do get into the next match, which is of course Earthquake with Jimmy Hart, another very very underrated manager. Was very good at what he done, to yeah. as uh, Gorilla Monsoon used to call him. They always had great fucking chemistry as well. Um. And it's Hercules, Hercules Hernandez. Uh, Hernandez, absolute beast of a man. Very, mm. very underrated worker. Mm. Um, 
anybody had that had not seen him outside of WWE, Douglas Diamond, Mid South Florida, Texas, everywhere. Guy was great, great worker. Um, but like I say, watching this match, you know, this was early earthquake, and you got to see earthquake. Man, the two of them actually pulled off a pretty <laughs> match. To be fair, you could see yeah. Hercules selling the back every time he tries to pick up earthquake. So they're they're getting earthquake over with this, you know, as an unstoppable. I think yeah. mentioned mentioned a couple of times that he's undefeated at this point yeah. as well. So um, the big, the classic test of strength, and I mean, not many people are going to beat Hercules in the test of strength, but uh, it's not even a, it's not even a not even a contest and it's a slow methodical kind of beat down earthquake you know every time there's a bit of a shine from hercules earthquake cuts it off at the right time mm-hmm. um i say hercules done a great job of making earthquake look strong wins by the aftershock which i always thought was a great finishing move because yeah i mean i genuinely i sent a letter into hulk hogan when, when he fucking did it on the stage <laughs> i gotta be honest that was a God, the size of that man jumping on your chest. <laughs> oh, the power that Vince McMahon had in those days, huh? <laughs> but yeah, any, anyone want to add that to that match? I know, Jay, you were always a big fan of Hercules yourself. Um, He's a classic fucking, you know... Beast? Like, yeah, but <laughs> you know, the funny thing about it is that it's such an image-driven sport. Even as a child, I always thought... Poor Hercules, he tanned terribly. If he wasn't, oh, yeah. bright, he was bright white. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like he was Seamus levels of white, or else he was fucking heart foundation pink. If he'd have been able to take a decent tan, he'd have probably wore a lot more gold in his life. But, you know? More than likely, yeah. He definitely had some Irish in him anyway. There's no doubt. Oh, remember, remember, used to see his back out with a double axe handle. <laughs> and if you look someone that tattooed him on an iron. <laughs> and you ever notice, I actually noticed that as well. What Jay was saying is true, because he always got that kind of light, light pink. And anytime anyone would touch him, you just see the white handprint every time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the, at the age of what, 11 or 12, you shouldn't be worrying about a man's circulation when he's in fucking front of 63,000 people wrestling a big, huge, <laughs> super fat guy. Like, no. you're like, what's wrong with <laughs> until, 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 until he sits on your chest. <laughs> and even 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 the even the, the I don't even the, the, it's hard to call who was fucking babyface a heel. I mean, at the end when when what I noticed was you remember when Herc wouldn't let the ref help him up. He kept pushing him away. He's like, I'm getting out of this ring on my own two feet, and you're like, oh my god, wow, yeah. you know. Kind yeah. of with the skin, definitely it would have been like Hernandez really didn't fit the bill. It would have been more like Hercules O'Reilly or something would have been better. <laughs> from, 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 <laughs> From, from down in, in uh, Cookstown or something yeah. like that. Uh, Give him an old shillelagh, a shillelagh instead of a set of chains. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, where were you when Seamus was conceived, you fuck? I don't know. Yeah, Seamus had a very, very quick route to that company. I'm, I'm asking questions. Um, we break again. We break again to a kind of a meaningless Elizabeth interview where this Hollywood bitch says that hey. Elizabeth is... Uh, uh, more glamorous you. than uh, most of the chicks in Hollywood and all that stuff. And she's got that southern accent, Campbell. You know, looking. She was terrible in that interview. Let's be honest here. Yeah, 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 terrible. That was just a waste of five minutes. It was. It wasn't. It, yeah, like it felt like five minutes. It was probably only twenty-five seconds, but it did feel like five. Put shout on. But then we get back to the real stuff. We get back to Sean Mooney, who's the star of the next segment, because he's with none other than Bruce the Barber Beefcake. 
Oh, <laughs> this was just golden. This was so, fantastic. So, Bruce, uh, someone, I mean, we talked about the Hollywood elite, like trying to break people in and, and make them look as ridiculous as they can. If, if they say it's a real thing, then Bruce is a poster boy for that. Like, make them look as, as homoerotic as possible. Uh, <laughs> and, and definitely Brutus was, was, was the poster boy for that. Um, I think the poor lad had to wear a long pair of uh, cycling shorts just to cover the fucking skin that was on those particular set of... Uh, well, whatever we'll call this woman, you better look good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Hogan was the elite at the time. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's going to happen to me, it's going to happen to you, brother. That's not what I insinuated, and you know it. Oh, I know. Oh. I know. I know. I'm just trying to be. Listen, I'm trying to moderate. I know. Um, Haven't even got to the Hogan match yet. <laughs> but Brudoy, Brudoy, as Gorilla calls him. Uh, yeah, Brudoy. He's going to go up now against what is, what can only be described as a man of perfection, Mr. Perfect. Um, early on in his WWE career, and the genius Macho Man Randy Savage's brother introduced him. Another very homoerotic character. Lanny Puffo. Lanny Puffo. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just saying. It's not at all. It was just how it was perceived. It was how it was yeah. shot. And back then. That was a lot of fr- that was a lot of frisbees. And back then. <laughs> back just then, saying. There would have been a lot of frowns back then at certain things as well. It's 2020. Yeah. You can look at it and go, well, that's pretty normal. We've got, you know. Well, drag race and all. Genie definitely would have had a uh, had a spot on that show, um, and so would Brutus as probably the eye candy. So, um, but we get into it. As I said, I wrote down in my notes here. Brutus. This is what I wrote in my notes. Brutus ring gear very questionable. <laughs> um, and then I went straight from that into Perfect with his amazing selling. It literally happens instantly. Perfect gets a smack and just literally vomits himself over the top. Yeah. Um, when I when I watch when I, when I watch this match, the first thing I thought of was Hogan versus Michaels at yeah, SummerSlam. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was that Shawn Michaels level of selling. Yeah. it was unbelievable. Yeah. Definitely the yeah. precursor, the precursor to what twenty years later. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Very much so. <laughs> That's a really good show. Um, and so it was a Brutus, there's not much to say about the match other than it's all perfect. <laughs> and not the match, yeah. it's Mr. Perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah. Per- it's that combination of, of, of selling and cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Hell of a combination. Um, oh, I'll tell you. Well, you yeah. have no choice. You have no choice with cocaine. <laughs> you just sell. Yeah. It's fucking, it's, you know, uh, what you know to do a wrist lock, you're grand, you're golden. Someone, someone, someone back then must have had an island as well. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think a certain Jeffrey Epstein was about still at that oh. <laughs> oh, we went there. We went there. <laughs> Hot topic tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah. No Patreons this week. It's going to- oh, Netflix plug. Netflix plug. <laughs> Listen, yeah, that's a Netflix plug. There would be more Patreons. For more information, please subscribe to Patreon, and we will go. What about here? What, what about the fact that Puffo didn't know his hair was getting cut? I know that made it even <laughs> better. I mean, that was a hell of a hairdo we had already. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a mullet. It was literally it was my level of shaving here and a full on 
full on long hair at the back. It was like if you put the top of my head with the back of Jay's head. It was just <laughs> apparently, apparently when they got backstage, him and Randy were gonna beat the piss out of the out of Brutus over it. <laughs> no, I would have paid to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, it, there was always a gang there, wasn't there? There was always, there was always a divide. <laughs> um, which, lead, which leads you to believe, was there really heels and face locker rooms? <laughs> it was, there was. You know, what I, you know what I loved just after the, the scissors came out and they start mauling fucking uh, the genius? <laughs> Perfect just gets into the little ring and fucks off. Yeah, yeah. Just gone. You're on your own, Puffo. I don't give a shit. I don't care about you. I don't want any more Brutus rub on me. You're on your fucking own. <laughs> Perfect good and slap fancy to show up back in sides. Uh, well, speaking of controversy, by the way, Perfect basically KO'd himself off the ring post on that for the win for Brutus. Uh, but getting into so keeping the controversy alive, we come up to another break here, and the next segment is... Uh, a rowdy one, rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, oh, good lord! It shows, oh, a bad, no. it shows a package with bad news Brown, of course, <laughs> uh, national judo champion, bad news Allen, legitimate tough guy. Oakland interviews Piper. Now, I, I have some quotes, and this is the start of the interview. I'm not going to try and do it in the uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gone through a tunnel. Action. I'm sorry, I, I won't be able to speak for five minutes. So, Gene Oakland, <laughs> Oakland says, Some people. Calling you the hot rod. Piper, who's standing sideways, uh, says, Yeah, some people call me the hot rod, but you know, some people might call me the hot Scott. And he turns around, and the <laughs> other side of his body is painted legitimate charcoal black. Um, uh, so half his body's been painted. He continues, if <laughs> the camera then zooms in, as you can see, half his face is black face, I guess is the only other way describe it and uh, he continues then to insult <laughs> bad news browns oh guys and his dilating nostrils to which you can see the hair, the hair coming out of one side yeah um, I mean this is this is rowdy rowdy piper you know at his finest in terms of promo um, I mean, is this I, even still on the network I have to move it to the bad wild section Oh, <laughs> I would say it's still on the network. To be honest, with you, I don't think there's anything racist about this. I think it's more. Uh, I, I mean, in terms of the actual, you could probably say blackface. I mean, look, it depends. I mean, look, there's plenty of uh, left-wing people that have worn blackface, and uh, they, they are uh, they're basically hiding it now and deleting all their videos. But anyone on the right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just give it all um, I don't know because it's half a blackface. Is it kind of like? Half-cast, so he's kind of paying homage to both races. Uh, you know, I think it was just a, a seriously. It, it it was a combination of two things. One, he <laughs> considered. It's not really when you think about it. Like he 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 basically painted himself half black and half white, essentially insinuating it doesn't matter whether you're black or white. It is what it is, and I'm coming after you. But unfortunately, when you add into context that bad news had some unique physical aspects to him. Piper obviously calls on them in the talk and that's where this misunderstanding of whether it's got racial undertones come in comes in. Like he he he's talking about the man's physical appearance was painted half black and you're kinda of like, where are you going with this Piper? Where are you going with this Piper? 
You know what I mean? It, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's mis, it, it's a, misconsidered, I suppose. That's not even a word. It, misconstrued. It's just, misconstrued might be the better yeah, word. Yeah, like, he's trying to put it across. It doesn't matter if you're black. I don't understand why, when he turns around and goes, and there's some people who call me a hot scat. And you're like, what the hell does that have to do with, like, colour? What? I don't know very many people of a, of a geographical persuasion, colour-wise, from Scotland, like what you're insinuating, Rowdy, and it probably has been a while since you've been to Scotland, because this makes absolutely no sense globally. Do you know what I mean? Like, what does well, <laughs> this have to do with the hot Scott? Could I don't get it. This one on, uh, could we pin this one on someone like Bruce Pritchard, possibly? Do you know what I mean? Uh, you know. I don't think you can pin that on Rowdy that didn't come out of Rowdy's mouth. But, by the same token, Bad News Brown was known as someone that would fuck you up Regardless, I mean, Andre the Joint backed down from Bad News Brown when he called him off the bus. So if Bad News Brown wasn't happy with what was going down also, uh, it wouldn't have went down. I'm sure Bad News Brown probably agreed to it and said, this is fucking hilarious. You know what I mean? Um, he, he, I, it's think, hard. I wouldn't say bad, I wouldn't say Bad News Brown had a clue about it. I don't it. think so either. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think very many people had a clue to Rowdy got up and came out of the shower with his body half painted black. I don't... I don't think anybody okay. I don't think Piper ever did. I think Piper did what Piper did, and the boss said, "We'll run with it after it happens." I mean, this here comes Rowdy. Oh, I mean, Mister Shit hits the fan. Yeah. You know what? It's going to sell anyway. He's brilliant. He is. Yeah. He is, but you can't control. We'll, we'll just we'll, we'll just let you know we don't condone it. We oh, yeah. is we. <laughs> yes, us as the four problem as an organization not uh, condoning it and in fact we're going to move right along it was a lot of brawling um, it ends with uh, it ends with a double count out and they continue to brawl Jay <laughs> one of Piper's yeah. better matches it was actually a good match to be fair yeah. it was a very brawly match but it was it was the right two people to, to, to have that kind of match to be fair because yeah. obviously Bad News was known as a brawler in uh, in Stampede that's where he made his his salt and, and obviously um, being, being from the Hart Dynasty the two of them were probably mates, and they said, let's go out and just fucking kill each other here. You know what I mean? Probably one of the earliest legit yeah. Jokus as well. He was pushed on the commentary team as having a fucking uh, a martial arts standard. Not very many men at that time had that. No, you and know? it was legit too. It was actually it's a legit actual... He had a, he had a black belt. He had a black belt, and he was a national uh, national champion. He was an yeah. Olympic-level athlete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. A legit hard man. You don't need to eat steroids and pump iron all day when you can seriously actually fuck somebody up. I remember dining my kids saying that uh, when they had street fights back in the uh, in the Stampede days that Bad News Brown would tell you I'm coming at you with a plank of wood. If you're if you're not quick enough to move it's going through your skull so I'm just letting you know. So you're saying like literally you yeah. have to be on your toes with Bad News Brown because you'd come out of it. Yeah, you kind of had you kind of had that new jack streak trim. Didn't yeah, you? definitely. <laughs> Well, we, yes. all heard, we all heard the story. Yes. We all heard the story where Andre, old Jack. <laughs> well, we all heard the story where Andre said the, the N word on a bus. Uh, for anyone that hasn't heard it, and bad news happened to be sitting beside me. He goes, "Do you want to say that word again to my face?" And uh, I think Andre said something, and he stopped the bus and he stood outside and said, "Come on out and say that to my face." And Andre came out and said, "Pipe down, relax. We're only messing." And uh, that was it. So. I mean, I put I put the half face on him, did he? <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, he couldn't get it off for a long time. <laughs> right, yeah, well, apparently, they they hit the solvent. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, they put like a, they put like an oil-based solution in it, so like the skin yeah. literally went. But then they hid. <laughs> when he came back, they had hid the paint remover. Yeah. <laughs> He's walking through the airport the next day, looking the same. Right. <laughs> you got poor Hercules Hernandez can't get any color, and there's Piper standing with two. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Imagine how it must have looked if I had a bit Hercules. <laughs> Well, look, we'll move on to the next match before we take a little break. Um, we come in, the next, there's not much of a package for the next one. This is probably, it probably still is the record for WrestleMania, is it? Um, it's the Hart Foundation versus the Bolshevich. Bolshevich, Boris uh, Zukov, Nikolai Volkov. Um, the two boys are sitting in the back uh, with some L lad uh, playing the piano. What was his name? Does anyone get his name? Um, but they're, they're in the shower because the, the old guy playing the piano said it's the best for acoustics and the Bolsheviks are trying to uh, <laughs> yeah. sing their national anthem and your man is literally having a man says, says Ukraine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the two boys have a meltdown. Oh, the two boys have a meltdown. I mean, direct, direct shots at the Soviets. Uh, you know, as, as, as only seen in WWE at that time. Um, but we came out with the Heart Foundation going to take on the Bolsheviks. Uh, their, their whole gimmick here is that they want to sing their national anthem to the Canadian crowd. Which Heart Nikolai Foundation. always did. Yeah, he did. And then the Hart Foundation, they cheap shot them from behind. You know, they cheap shot them. The poor guys are only literally trying to pay homage to, uh, to you know, to their, their to Mother Russia, basically. And uh, Mother Russia. These two stampede, these two Calgary guys, they just absolutely take the law into their own hands and hit them from behind and they hit them with a heart attack. A devastating move, to be fair. Could have injured, could have seriously hurt one of them. And uh, they win in 19 seconds. I thought it was a travesty of justice, personally. Um, to which Jesse Ventura calls out Gorilla Monsoon. He's like, oh, yeah, Gorilla. Yeah, you've no problem with that, right? <laughs> was like, yeah. Would you stop? <laughs> would, you, would you stop? <laughs> it's hard to believe it's the same lad who got upset at Montreal, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Here, tell us this. What was the, what was the obsession with Jim, the Anvil Nerdheart's obsession with Bret Hart's arse? I don't know. What do you mean? Because if you go back and look at that match when they're in the ring before it even starts, he must slap Bret on the arse about five times. But you see that you see that with your Liverpool players every day as well. Like, so it's just, game, just locker room fucking boys being boys, is it? Excuse me, I'm going to cut you off there now. That's for a separate podcast. <laughs> they're not getting this one. They're not getting that for free. <laughs> I don't know. Patreon maybe, again. Maybe, maybe, go, uh, back and look at, go back and look at that match again. He slaps blood on the ass at least five times. Well, don't forget, Jim Neidhart came from, uh, didn't he come from the American football world? He came from the NFL. That, that That's a real jock thing where they always slap each other on the ass. You know? So I don't know. Maybe that's it. Or, Brett was pretty buff. Hang on a minute. Maybe, maybe he was... Uh, maybe that's a... That's, you're looking good. I don't know. <laughs> that's a blue oyster bar thing. They were looking... They were working out together <laughs> quite a lot. So, I don't know. Do, 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 do. But, yeah, it was... It was it, it was what it was with this match. But, uh, look, we'll take a quick break. Um, take a pause for the cause. Just want to let you know that uh, today's podcast is being brought to you by Peter Hart Graphics. And, of course, this man who is on screen, Noel Hogan, the shopkeeper, um, wrestling mania, located in the heart of Dublin's fair city. A 
the historic and beautiful Dublin St. Stephen's Green Shopping Centre. Noel, tell them what you got. COVID. <laughs> Topical and now we've got all we, we, we've got all the we've got all the latest wrestling merchandise in and um, we're about to get in a stock of masks and costumes and all for Halloween. So that COVID better feck off because we want Halloween to go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, moving right along. <laughs> That's what they have. <laughs> uh, next week, we will only be brought by Peter Hart Graphics uh, and probably, probably not the National Government of Ireland. <laughs> Shut those guys down. Today's show sponsored by the Easter Quit. Health Board. They're bringing half a black face. Where's that Tim for? <laughs> oh, they're, they're, they're talking about Roddy Piper with a half black face on him. They're talking about COVID. This is terrible. Terrible. Slap stuff. ass. You forgot slap ass. Slap asses. Yeah. Brutus, Brutus, yeah, what's that about? <laughs> Brutus Beefcake's questionable um, ring attire. Well, that was all you. You you said he looked sensual. That was a bit odd. That was that threw me for six. You know what I mean? Well, well, well you know what you see, Jay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what you want to see. <laughs> well, no, that's what you see, just in general. Come on. You know you like it. <laughs> Would you stop? <laughs> we will be right back right after this. Welcome back to the Ford Podman as we continue to speak about WrestleMania 6. Hope you enjoyed the first part as much as we have. Um, just remember, we are commenting on what we see, not what we created. So uh, <laughs> when you uh, when you when you want to go on an angry rant, and to be fair, if you're one of those sort of people you probably shouldn't listen to this show anyway, you should probably go and watch Coronation Street. And you know what? Uh, <laughs> so let's uh, let's get on to the next part of the show. We had the Hart Foundation beat the. Um, beat the Bolsheviks uh, in 19 seconds, which, again, I don't know if that's a WrestleMania record. Maybe somebody can, uh, can, can clarify that for us. If it's still a record. I know it was at the time. In tag? Yeah. Tag, probably, yeah, but not. Didn't uh, Daniel Famous. Bryan, or Seamus beat Daniel Bryan in second? There you, go. there you go. So there you go. So probably in tag team wrestling it still is, but uh, obviously not. I'd say it is in tag team wrestling, general, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, so next up we have Tito Santana versus the very scary barbarian once again with Bobby the Brain Heenan as his manager, part of the Heenan family. Um, what I will say throughout this match, uh, I mean it was a, a pretty decent match because both of these guys could work to be fair. Um, Jesse <laughs> Jesse continues to call Tito Chico as we Chico Chico, Chico Santana. Um, a right leg at the Mexicans. Um, he, he kept on... Bears witness, Jesse actually lives in Mexico now, so... He does. He lives off the grid in Mexico. He loves Mexico. So this was, yes. obviously, <laughs> this was all obviously part of the, just part of his shtick. But he does rip into the Mexican culture and the food. And uh, he even suggests, um, as a classic, classic manager, he suggests that uh, Chico should have, um, should have fed... Barbarian, some of his uh, famous, I believe it was tacos or burritos, to get uh, an advantage in the in the match because it would have. In fact, even Gorilla Monsoon joins in on the phone of this when he goes. Oh, <laughs> I I do eat Mexican food. I do like Mexican food, but I don't think it likes me. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly. 
<laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, it was again, it was another short match. Um, it was a good match, to be fair. Like I said, it was what it was. It wasn't these a lot of these matches because there was fourteen matches in total. Um, you know, they were they were short lived matches. Uh, this was only four minutes, just under just under five. And uh, the Barbarian, of course, defeats Tito Santana with Bobby Heenan. So Heenan finds get, finally gets a little bit of retribution um, for his, his, uh, his, his embarrassment earlier by the Giants finally turned on him. Um, next up, we do have Dusty Rhodes with Sunfire <laughs> and Elizabeth versus Randy Savage and the greatest woman in wrestling history, the sensational Queen Cherry. What a beautiful woman. Uh, love that woman. Love that woman. Um, yeah, I mean, this the, the, the package and all behind it was great. They, they, they had kind of built this one up. Um, you know, anything that has that has dusty, dusty roads, even with polka dots, even with black and yellow polka dots, he was <laughs> still able to pull it off because he was just that damn good. And, of course, Randy Savage is Randy Savage. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed this. It was kind of a mixed tag. It was obviously... You know Sherry getting in there because she's a hell of a worker with Sapphire, who just it wasn't a worker, definitely not a worker. Um, I don't know what she was to be honest with you. Um, but she Almost was there, cleaning a lady. She was oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Carl should write for Vince. You should write for Vince. <laughs> That's some good shit. <laughs> you should write for Vince. I like it. I I, I like it. He's he's Irish. And he's got some good stuff. He knows how to piss people off. And he can sing. Uh, so, yeah, this was pretty cool. I mean, uh, Jay, you wanted to... Off air, it was actually funny because I wrote down on my notes here that um, the American Dream, in my opinion, is just one of the best entrance songs ever. I love it. Yeah. That's yeah, brilliant. I love, yeah. I love the better than Dusty. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I think the song, certain songs like that and like Real American because of the production behind them, the way they uh, and the, the way they kind of resound off, off in Just that big stadium. Man. Oh, me, and then the little, ding, 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 the little guitar. Yeah, through. it's a tune all day long. It's a tune. It's a tune. Oh. Um, so, what did you guys like or dislike about this match? Everything except for Sherry. Okay. You liked or disliked what? Everything. I I just Dusty and Sapphire as a child never did it for me. I never I never I, I had no idea who Dusty was before he came into this business. And we seen him at the back end, God love him. So I can't really criticize <laughs> him. Joker. I like you know, he had a bit of groove, he had a bit of tongue when he talked, when he spoke, there was a cadence to him, he sold well vocally. But when he got into the ring, it was just I just didn't feel it. It just he was just a, a heavily scarred up, ugly old man, you know. I didn't care. What an what an elbow though. Oh, bionic. <laughs> if I'm to believe science, it's bionic. <laughs> the, the match was really the bionic elbow versus the double axe handle, really, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and then a, spr a sprinkling of Sherry and Sapphire. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, Sherry is all day long. You just can't help but watch the woman. She fucking, yeah. do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what she's at, whether she's screeching, whether she's yeah. fucking working. She's just, she's a, she's a peg above every other female they put into the ring with the exception of the proper women's division workers they had at the time. Yeah. She is, she, she was as good as the boys and held her own. And not only that, more often than not, outshone 
She would have outshone yeah. anybody if she wasn't standing beside fucking Macho Man Randy Savage. Like, and even then, this one was weird. The, the quality of Savage was nullified by the expectation of, of Dusty. Do you know what I mean? Mm, they, were two, yeah. they were two fucking heavyweights. Yeah. And as if one putting the other over in a time when somebody had to yeah. shine in this match, they kind of just met in the middle, fucking nullified each other, and all I was left with was happy feelings about yeah. watching Cherry for five minutes. Yeah. I think it was I think it was more I think it was more focused on the women. More so, really. It wasn't, um, it wasn't. It was an angle yeah, match. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think, Sherry, I, I, think, I think Sherry did too much, didn't she? She sort of, she flipped from sort of working with Macho to sort of nearly tried to get herself over big time in the match. Mm, yeah. And I thought she kind of took Macho's shine away a bit and stuff like that and all, you know, she took his kind of like presence away because he's like larger than life character. And she just, like you see even with the camera work, there's so much camera work in that match on the likes of Sherry and stuff like that. I'd say that was Vince talking to the cameraman, you know what I mean? That was, yeah. yeah. But, but she again, not, yeah, but she 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 nearly gave Dusty more of a beating than my macho did. Can you remember he was my breath? Yeah. Like can you can you remember another time when, when, when Randy Savage was so muted in an event at a main event like this? No. Like it, not really, no, it? not really. He turned up and he did his corner bit, but it was yeah. like, yeah, I'm gonna wait out this dusty program until I get to be macho man again. Yeah, yeah, yeah more it was kind of it was kind of the reverse of Elizabeth, where Elizabeth knew that Macho Man was supposed to be the star. Yeah, you know that kind of way. Yes, with Sherry, Sherry, Sherry was kind of more sort of more Sherry. Yeah, than, well, she, well, she like, was a wrestler. She, she could have been said. She could have been sent out there with Jimmy Powers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, like or Paul Roma. Well, I was about to say Paul Roma. Literally, just about to yeah. say Paul Roma. That's so weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That would have been a good pairing, in fairness. But uh, Dusty wins it anyway. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a nothing, um, nothing kind of contest. But like I say, it is, it is. Uh, it's just great to see Sherry do what she does. But like I say, it, it, it did. Like I don't know whether she kind of took the shine just purely because it was necessary. Um, I don't know. I don't know. The crowd, the crowd seemed to be invested in the match. Oh yeah. No, you know what I mean. So Sherry, because of the like. Like, I, I got that feeling, like Jay said, that Macho just didn't look... He found it in. Interested, yeah, exactly, yeah. It's like yeah. going to see one of your favourite bands who were three years on the road, and they're just going out on stage and doing the greatest hits. They're going through exactly. the motions. Exactly. They give you an hour and a half. Yeah. can't really say that was shy, but it wasn't as good as you seen them the last time when they were invested in the gig, you know? Mm, yeah. That was just for me yeah. with Macho here. Like, the role yeah. of- like oh, Axel Rose and Donnie thing is not Axel Rose and the Trey Arena. You know what I mean? But then yeah. Axel Rose is playing as Axel Rose. <laughs> and the, the, and the I got At any point in any seconds during this match, Macho Man could have turned on the Macho switch and been Macho Man. But I just oh, yeah. felt like he didn't really care. Yeah, I, I wonder what do, I wonder what Dusty have been able or capable of selling for Macho's hundred percent. Well, I think he would have. Or I is that it's kind of down down a bit as well? Well, this is going to sound bad to a lot of people, and I don't mean it to sound bad, but I think the way the story was written, the narrative was written, that the girls on the outside were meant to be the gimmick. Do you know what I mean? With with with, uh, with Elizabeth there, and, then, and I think they they that narrative was all about, you know, the the, the women that were involved in it. And, and not that I'm saying it's a problem with that, but what I am saying is that if it had been a straight shoot one on one with Dusty and and Macho, I'm sure Dusty and Macho would have loved to work together. Um, you know, I'd say that could have been some frustration because, Macho, well, listen, let's be fair, Jay. 
if if uh, if they were getting a, a twelve minute, even fifteen minute match, they'd have been able to put together something good. They'd been able to tell a good story. Do you know what I mean? And I think True. knowing that the worker that match is that he was so. But then again, I don't know whether that would have worked either. I don't know you could put Macho Man into a battle royal with 19 of the greatest athletes in the history of the sport, and you could not stop him from shining if he chose to. The macho, he wasn't even Macho Man in this. He was the fucking Macho King. Like, That's I mean, what I mean, yeah. yeah. He was balls deep in that gimmick. He loved it. The, the, mm. the, the, the coming down with the fucking the podium, Sherry. It was top floor, Stevens Green. Top floor, Stevens Green Shopping Centre. <laughs> anyone looks good. Anybody wants to know? Anyone wants to know? Skill Macho King blue T-shirt, relevant. In fact, very relevant to this particular event. Noel Hogan is selling them at the top of Stevens Green Shopping Centre. He's not selling COVID, despite what he said at the start. He's trying to be, trying to be a comedian. But uh, we, we, I, I will do his job for him and tell him you can go there, and he will actually See? deliver See? it if you want to go online too. Noel, tell them how they can get them delivered. Wait, postman. This bad boy, they're not getting delivered. If they want one of these bad boys, they got a shower. Listen, uh, Jay, you mentioned postman. Noel is way too cheap to pay a postman to do that. That is literally <laughs> some lad delivering a pizza on his way to work. And that's how it's getting delivered to your house. <laughs> Get on your hind legs, come and see me. And if, just... <laughs> if you, if you ever wonder you why you're wrestling, <laughs> if you ever wonder why you're wrestling, you're to rave on your just eat up. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> that's why. But look, we'll, we'll you, get, you get a pizza and a VHS on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for twenty nine ninety five. <laughs> and a VHS. Close well. back. I love that VHS. Not a DVD. A VHS motherfucker. You gotta, you gotta earn this. Yeah, we're talking nineteen ninety here, brother. We're talking. This is nineteen ninety. Absolutely. Kids don't know how easy they have it today. They can just skip to the next match. Back in the day, this fast forward and playing and just tearing the tape off of, of your VHS that we did. They don't, even, they don't even have to watch it anymore. They just they could just go on YouTube and watch some shite bags review of it. That's true. <laughs> here. They can Not watch us, that no. here. No, no. No shite bags. Put our shite bags. Put our shite bags. <laughs> Shout out to all the other shite bags that have reviewed this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is great. This is we uh, we move along. Oh, this is why we always tell you this is going to be different to any other group of pod men that uh, want to uh, that want to wait till we turn on each other. Then you'll see something. <laughs> it's on the way. Ain on, on Amazon right now. Are in Zoom editor. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming out of the. It's coming out of the accounts, my friend. It's coming out of the Patreon. <laughs> Uh, which is known as well, ladies and gentlemen. So please do stick with us. Anyone that doesn't want to contribute, to Patreon, <laughs> we completely understand why. But uh, you should, because you've got to get this entertainment every time you listen to us. Um, we move along from Dusty and uh, Macho, and we get into a lot of breaks here at the moment, uh, backstage segments. Um, it goes into Okerland interviews a very, very angry Bobby the Brain Heenan, who for the first time, it's actually funny, Bobby actually loses his shit and pauses. And Gene Oakland yes. says, you've forgotten even what to say. And he goes, I haven't. <laughs> and this is what I go back to when I mentioned about how Gene Oakland was just so on the ball that he noticed that there was a little bit of a pause there and he calls him out on it, but the two, but it's part of their shtick. 
that they make it work. Did you notice that, Jay? I seen that. Yes, I did. I'd never ever seen Heenan stuck on a line for words, and and and, and obviously, what with the nature of mania, it was probably a fucking live calm hard way. So, yeah, having uh -huh. having having Uncle Uncle Gene there to cradle you through whatever particular melodies hit you, you know. Again, yeah. you push on Mooney and Mean Gene Oakland into Anchorman, and they would sit perfectly beside the Channel Four News team or the Channel Five News team, like. I think they take the he, he was still selling the Andre beatdown. I am Shannon <laughs> You know, just that he got beautiful shot halfway through his talk, like. Oh, he sings. <laughs> he sings through it. Like, Sean Mooney just sings through it. Hi, I'm Sean Mooney, and I'm here with the Barbarian. Barbarian, how do you feel? And it's just like, wow, this guy has the most soothing voice. He should have a, and he does have a podcast now. I actually recommend people go listen to it. Um, it's the only podcast what, what a comparison. Sean Mooney's voice and the Barbarian. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> barbarian didn't say much. It was Bobby that came in. <laughs> Bobby that came in again. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was actually really... Where's, the, where's the warlord? <laughs> it, does, it does show how good Oakland was, though, because Oakland, again, he comes in straight away and he finishes off and it just looks... It's, it's just a great promo because of that. Um, yeah. You know, if that was anyone else other than Oakland, or maybe even a Sean Mooney, to be fair, uh, it would have been just like a little bit of silence, and it would have been like you'd have found something, but it wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't have had the same impact. Yeah, Oakland's autopilot is better than most men's A game. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and that lad must be pissed as a skewl. <laughs> that, that lad was lit with the cocktails from twelve o'clock noon that day. I'm sure. Um, what a what a hero that Batman was. Rest in peace, Oakland. There'll never be another like him. Um, the, but yeah, I just thought the synergy between them. Then it goes to Macho and Sherry with with Sean Mooney, who we just mentioned, <laughs> angry at Elizabeth, and they're just kicking up the locker room. Sherry's screaming <laughs> like a mad thing. <laughs> Savage is just on a rant about. It didn't really make sense what he was on a rant about. To be fair, there was Elizabeth in there. There was Sapphire. There was Dusty and. But it, it's a great, it's a great kind of angry promo from the Macho Man. And the it, was, it was a, it was a hawk, it was a hawk promo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a powder shoot. <laughs> um, it, it seems to be, it seems to be, it seems to be the break for for promos here because it goes to Gene then with the demolition, and then of course it's getting into selling the main event. He goes to Gene Oakland with Hogan. And he's talking about when I was over the sky dome and I looked down, man. You know, everything's everything's uh, all about the power and the electricity that he felt by looking down at the sky dome, man. Um, and then it went to Mooney with the ultimate warrior. It's, warrior just, uh, he kind of pushes Mooney out of the way and says, I don't really need you. <laughs> And uh, he went on. You a do not deserve to breathe the same air as men like us. Yeah. So, Jay, I'm going to hand this promo over to you, actually, because um, you can probably decipher what the warrior meant from it. Oh, I mean, he spoke to our hearts. We don't need a universal translator for a man who spoke straight to the heart. You know what I mean? There's plenty of people listening to this show that probably don't know what you mean. So, why don't you tell them what you felt in your heart at the time? <laughs> <laughs> Be perfectly honest with you. You know what? It's funny for you. You want to talk about shoots and people talking bollocks. 
a lot of people gave that man an awful lot of shit for speaking in, in, in tongues, you know, which was the cadence of parts unknown. It wasn't like a normal place on earth. It was a place where a man like the barbarian and the ultimate warrior could sit down and order a ham sandwich, both know what each other meant and say completely different fucking things. But every time Hogan gives it the big one about nobody understand what he's saying. I watched that fucking promo Hogan talked about feeling the power from the... Like he got very fucking warrior when it suited him. Do you know what I mean? From going to saying this man doesn't know what he's talking about to you talking shit, you bald hot dog, the hot dog looking fuck, you know? <laughs> okay. Whoa. So we're, we're, we're going to move along to the next match because we want to keep this fire. <laughs> we want to keep this fire. And we, because obviously this is all going to come out in the main event. Um, the Rockers. <laughs> Jay, always, oh, Jay, Jay, always believe. <laughs> Some of us didn't turn it off. Sean Michaels makes his debut against the Orient Express um, alongside the Lake River killer, Marty Gennetti. <laughs> <laughs> down at the back of the bowling alley. Oh my God. Down at the We're back of the bowling alley. We're getting cancelled. Really? Are we? Oh, I didn't say that. Marty Gennetti, Marty Gennetti killed the guy. Marty Gennetti. <laughs> I think you maybe we should go. Maybe we should go to Spotify, not YouTube. <laughs> no, they're, trying to, they're trying to edit Joe Rogan, so no, maybe we'll, we'll stay um, No, but let's be fair; they have to be said. I mean, come on, Marty Janetti comes out with some good ones, but that was the best. Uh, <laughs> and he, yeah, <laughs> the best this week. <laughs> the best, yeah. Until next week, watch this space. We will give weekly or monthly updates on uh, what Marty Janetti. <laughs> Marty Gennetti says. I love Marty Gennetti, to be honest, as a worker. Great worker. Uh, great tag team as well. Obviously, the Rockers make their debut here against the Orange Express with the great Mr. Fuji. We, 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 let's take a pause for the cause here, actually, to steal a Stone Cold line and kind of just say, this show is all about managers. Mm. <laughs> like, your Fuji coming down, Mr. Rib, like the biggest river, probably, you know, in the history of wrestling, comes down... Always got a bit of salt, always got a cane, always ready for <laughs> something dastardly. And um, yeah, I mean, the Orient Express, I thought were actually a very underrated team. I was always a fan of the, uh, the Orient Express. And I thought this was actually one of the, uh, it was one of the better matches. And it was funny because it was one of the longer matches on the card, even though it was under eight minutes. <laughs> um, it was up there with Dusty and Sapphire. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a decent match. Um, and what I liked about this show as well was that they still used, um, you know, the double countouts. They used countouts, you know, and, and this match was no different. The Orient Express went over and they won by countout because of the outside shenanigans from uh, one Mr. Fujisan. And uh, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought this was was a decent match, guys. What, what did you think? Yeah, it was all right. I was never a huge fan of uh, the Orient Express. Okay. You know, um, but I mean, it was about. It wasn't about. I don't know what it was a countdown, wasn't it? Yeah. So. Love a good countdown, know. me. <laughs> yeah. Old school. Or the way the way uh, Janet rent over the guardrail to get the countdown then. That yeah, was excellent. Was yeah. Know, it was excellent. how quaint it was. I mean, he was at the feet of the kids pretty much, which was. Yeah. Six, five feet away from the ring and you're like holy shit you know 
<laughs> and him just going over the top. It was yeah. everything about Janet. He's over the top. He's he was actually brilliant. running away from the feds. He thought he saw a cop. <laughs> <laughs> sketch, sketch the guards. <laughs> he was allowed down by the lake. <laughs> <laughs> now you know yeah. what? Every time you get to see the Rockers is a pleasure. The, the the boys were just fucking silk. Do you know what yeah, I mean? They were. They, they were they... well together. I mean, you can see why Sean stole Marty's whole move set and left him behind dead in the woods because he kept killing guys. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Like, <laughs> the, Rockers really, the Rockers really deserve their own episode, really, don't they? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Write that down. <laughs> I'm actually writing it down, funny enough. Write that down. They absolutely do. You could start, I mean, look, without getting introspective into the Rockers and the, the dynamic of their pairing, I think if it, was, if it wasn't for Marty Gennetti, we wouldn't have the Sean we have today. Like, no. Again, as a tag, as a tag, Marty was just so... Fu- if all the pieces had been there for him, Jesus Christ, the sky was the limit. Even late in yeah. his career, the boss still believed in him. Like, yeah. when you try to up against Angle in the mid, what was it? Was it the mid-zeros when he got that little... Yeah, yeah. <sighs> It was all put out for him repeatedly. They served it up to him, say, Marty, fucking take the bait. Come on, get on the hook. Be one of the boys. Get your shit together. Stop smoking crack with strangers in the car park before fucking cards. And you can have it all. And stop. he just wanted more crack with strangers stop, in the car stop park. Stop pumping bodies into the fucking Mississippi River. Right? Even when stop you watch the ball they were going deep now. Stop doing the bowling alleys, Marty. Uh, like, <laughs> he was 13. <laughs> I'm going to reach out to Marty Gennetti and try and get him on Dynamo's dozen, so who knows? Yeah. Ian, he should. I am. Even when you watch his shoots, he still has all of his fucking charisma. It's still all there, like. Awesome. It's just maintaining awesome. it. Um, but look, I mean, we will put that down as the Rockets for a future episode, because obviously after this episode, we give it back to the fans again and allow them... We're going to have to make some apologies to Marty as well. Allow them to choose. <laughs> to be fair, I, I will say it's to Marty, and I'm sure they'll probably laugh his fucking ass off, to be honest, because he's I've met Marty. Funny. I met Marty Gennetti. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that will laugh his ass off about, about something like that, because he knows. He he, he definitely knows what, what he does be saying. Uh, yes, he does. But we do... Uh, we, we come in... To the next match, which was Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus oh. Dino Bravo. Uh, Dino Bravo, good old Dino. Yeah, poor old Dino. The episode of Dark Side of the Ring on for Dino Bravo. Um, <laughs> we're not laughing; we're laughing at Jay, which you can see on screen here. Hopefully, <laughs> Bravo bounce. <laughs> Bravo bounce. What a big man, actually. Jesus, huge man. Um, but yeah, it, it was uh, a short-lived match. Straight up, just heel losing to babyface basically. Um, the American hero Jim Duggan going over in this match. Not a lot to really say, it was, it was okay, it wasn't uh, wasn't that special. Got into the next match, then, which I think we'll kind of probably have a little bit more depth on it. It was the uh, it was the second longest match on the card. It was Ted DiBiase versus Jake the Snake. Um, with Virgil, DiBiase with Virgil for the uh, million dollar championship. Um, <laughs> Jake had a chance to win some gold. Um, I, I mean, I've got I've got a funny kind of like segue on this one, you know. But we'll wait till the end. Um, DiBiase, another countout victory, which again outside interference from uh, 
from Virgil and, and, and kind of it went that way. But I thought this was a decent match. I didn't think it was too bad. Um, Jake is always the master of psychology, even the promo beforehand. Um, and DiBiase, he was called a ring general for a reason. He was, yeah. He was a master. I think th those two together are always good money. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I thought it was, always. thought it was a good match. But uh, speaking of money, um, at the very end, Jake the Snake is throwing money away. <laughs> I was going to say, I heard somebody make a make a mention that the story of his career from 1990. <laughs> <laughs> That's not mine. I can't take credit for that. Um, <laughs> but it's great. It's great to see Jake. Obviously, you know, got his got his shit together. I mean, that was one man that we never expected to get his shit together. Um, and he, he did obviously, and he's doing well now. Good to see him back in in, in work and AEW and whatnot. But at this moment, yeah. in time, this is Jake Roberts. Probably, probably, probably one and a half bottles of Jack in, I would imagine, mm. um, before the match, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, if that's all. If that's yeah. all. Yeah, well, and the rest. But uh, no, hell of, hell of a match, hell of a worker. Two guys, workers. I was always a big fan of uh, DiBiase. Me too, me too. I think DiBiase is one of the greatest uh, in-ring kind of generals, is what you would really call them. Yeah. Just being, yeah. felt like a general in there. What I mean, what about you, Noel? What, what do you think of DiBiase? I know you're a big fan of Jake, but yeah, no, I always liked, I always liked DiBiase. To be honest, I actually, I actually liked the son as well. I thought the son could have done really well, but yes, it just yeah. didn't work out for him, you yeah. know. But yeah. the son, the son, the son, when he came into WWE first, he, he very, he worked very like the old man, which was yeah. great to say. It was real old school, focusing on that body part type of thing, psychology, you know, yeah. really good. But it just. I don't know whether he just had enough at the time and then sort of when he went into that legacy stuff and then Art and buried that whole thing with him and Cody and all, you know, didn't work out great. But he, he was he was he was up there in terms of work rate. He could have he could have worked out as good at the bath if they had to figure out something for him. You know, you're funny you mentioned that. For me that always worked in his favour. You know the way that he came in and in that generation where everybody was trying super hard to shake off the father's names and um, DiBiase Jr. It was almost a I don't give a fuck about him that actually carried over well. Do you know what I mean? He worked well, he was competent, but he wasn't trying super hard, and that in itself was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, Orton, yeah. Orton was kind of the same. Orton had that same vibe. He was like, well, look, I'm not Bob Orton. I'm, I'm Randy Orton, and I'm, I'm the best. Yeah. That's it. Like, you know what I mean? He was born yeah. not to give a fuck anyway. I don't think you can make Randy Orton give a fuck. You know Literally, I mean? if you put Phil and Selmo into pro wrestling, that's what Randy Orton is. Do you know what I mean? That's exactly what you get. Um, and they're cut from the same cloth um, in that sense. And I think um, it shows true. It's funny enough, Randy Orton used to come out in Pantera t-shirts, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, Randy clearly loves life. Do you know what I mean? Oh, he became. He used to come out to becoming back in the day. So think of that. You know. So, um, but yeah, now DBRC, hell of a worker. Jake, hell of a worker. Um, it was one of the. It was one of the better psychology matches up to this point for sure. Um, there was a bit of meaning behind it. There was a bit of history behind it as well. It wasn't just a match that was kind of. Put together for the sake of it, for the spectacle. No. It was, uh, it, it had some depth to it. That's a house show main event any day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Which brings us to the next match when we talk about depth. <laughs> um, the big boss man versus Akeem with, uh, with Slick. A job, go, go, job, go, go. All <laughs> the, We're all doing the Slick movements right now. Pepper and oil. That's Akeem, man. That's Akeem, <laughs> yeah. 
do you remember the original promo uh, where it was him and they were saying he's from deepest darkest Africa yeah. and the camera went down the alley and there's a barrel of fire and he's fucking yeah. standing there in his yellow robe with the fucking doing this, this dance you're like first he doesn't have deepest darkest Africa secondly why does he dress so well and so clean if he lives down a dark alley and dances at night by a barrel of fire none of this makes sense I love it but none of it makes sense they're all in head office laughing at it and then he's suddenly over and they go jeez we better produce a t-shirt the deepest darkest depths of Vince McMahon and Bruce Richard's mind more than there's just some lads in the business you can't punish it just won't work Fucking <laughs> just happy to be alive, dancing his way through every day. So He's like, bitch, I'm getting paid. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm going back to Nola, Louisiana. After this, every time these fuckers the punish me, I crawl higher up the card. <laughs> <laughs> a jack, oh man. Um, next up, I mean the, the debut of Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, he brings out, um, he brings out Greg the Hammer Valentine in the honky tonk right? <coughs> in Cadillac. Um, How stupid did Greg Valentine look with that black hair? Yeah, hating oh. his life, hating ah. his life. He didn't even sing when it was his line in the fucking on the mic. No, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a punishment, but there's a man, there's a punishment, and a man looking like he's punished. There's a rib that's just that's it. That's not even punishment. That's a rib, and that's like. You know, I, I genuinely hate the life right now. Um, I'm so far away from the figure four leg lock that I couldn't be any further. Do you know what I mean? It was just, uh, yeah, it was special. Um, His is a weird career, though. Like, you know, when you seen him in the early days versus fucking Chico for the, uh, was it the OC? Yeah. That old green version? Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. He's a legacy wrestler. The, the man is very competent in the ring. He goes that stiff sawdust on the floor, three teeth missing, fucking, you know, Iron Man, fucking coal miners, gauntlet chain dog match, you know, versus Grizzly <laughs> Peterson. Oh. And you're looking at him, he's like, you can't be old because you look old, you're all fucked up and you, you know, you got that weird, creaky kind of Boris Karloff mummy approach <laughs> to physicality. <laughs> Well, he couldn't have been that old because I watch him there now recently, maybe in the zeros, and he still looks the fucking same. He still moves the same. He still everything's yeah. the same. The lines are a few yeah. more lines on the face, but he's it's like, yeah. what the hell's going on here, Greg? I think it was always just a clothes horse holding them up in his body, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like as if he jumped into the DeLorean and went back to the 80s. Yeah. Episode of Benjamin Button I've ever seen. How do press pause on Greg Valentine in 1973? Yeah. <laughs> when, when you've that much Google Maps on your 
case you can't add to it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine him going to school at six and he looks like he's 47. <laughs> I'm, thinking about, like, I'm, I'm thinking about lacing up my boots in the locker room and telling him a joke and going, oh, Jesus. <laughs> the face on him. Like, his face, he never smiled or frowned or did on He just had that scowl. I don't think he can. He looks like somebody drew his face and it just makes no park animation. <laughs> I look like, like Zippy. Zippy, do you just pull the zip across and close his mouth? <laughs> he looks yeah, like, uh, do you know what he looks like? Do you know what he actually looks like? He looks like uh, the little elf in the goons. I know, you know, you know, you know, you know, one of those obese lads that gets his mouth sewn so he can only drink soup so he can't move his face. Jay, Jay had it down there. You see Jay's face? He had it down. <laughs> but I tell you what, though, full head of hair, shock of hair on him right now. I mean, he's still seventeen. It's just everything yeah. under him has been sixty-eight for the last forty years. <laughs> and I wouldn't frozen. mind if you got the if you got the audio of that song. I bet you when the line he doesn't sing, if you, you pan to him and just hear the hard audio, it's like you know. I'm so unhappy right now. And he had he had he had one of those elbow drops that just showed that he didn't care. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you know Honky Tonk had long he, he he's got long slick what was it? He's got long side burns. Long side burns and, and his hair slick back. back. Slick back hair. Valentine yeah. had long side burns and his hair dyed black. And he's not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> and the face like his back crack. I'm not burning them. My hair dyed black. I'm not He looks like one of them fallen blocks from Mario One. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> and when the girls used to dance around him, and he'd be just going, "Oh my god!" <laughs> Do any of you know who my father was? <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> you imagine them going to Vince and going, Vince, no amount of money pays me to hang out with Craig Valentine. <laughs> He's literally the trail of no crack. Like, literally. Um, I like him. I like him when you watch him in shoot interviews. He's just like this... He's like somebody who found a 1840s fucking gold prospector from Alaska and just whipped him into the property. <laughs> I mean, oh, you know that you know that was all the same dubbed over shows from the seventies. <laughs> He's chatting away, but nothing moves. <laughs> but anybody, anybody that hasn't seen the girls, go and check out the little old weird woman in it or fella, whatever it's meant to be. And, the woman and, with the beret. But that is Jim. That is Jimmy Valentine. That's Greg. I wish I was Greg. dead. Yeah. Mama Fratelli. Mama Fratelli. That's Mama Mama Fratelli. Fratelli. That is Greg the Hammer Valentine, for sure. Well, they're definitely related anyway. Greg uh, the Hammer Fratelli. Yeah, Jay keeps doing it as well. I keep doing it because of Jay. I'm so happy right now. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, diamond Dallas guy. I want to die. Get that Diamond Dallas guy. I miss my shin pads. <laughs> Ivan Dallas literally would do anything just to have his face in a in a driver seat, and <laughs> Greg is just no. No, he's not fit to drive Greg Valentine around anymore. Greg's no. done some here for business. You know what I mean? Yeah. How could you not be entertained watching Gregney Valentine? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, what 
Well, let's let's move on. We move on to the match. <laughs> two fucking, I mean, two lads who just look in ridiculous shape. Rick Rude with Bobby the Brain Heenan versus Jimmy Snooker. Uh, that case is not being Superfly. To speak about that. <laughs> From uh, Janetti to Snooker. <laughs> uh, here we go. I played the fifth on this one. Uh, you're more than welcome to chime in. Um, I love Rick Rude. I, I, thought, Rick, I, thought, I thought Rick Rude. I thought Rick Rude was brilliant. Yeah. He is brilliant. He, he is. Shadow of a doubt. I think he's one of the most underrated workers in the history of the business. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not familiar with that. I'm not familiar with that other guy that was in the match. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Name, I'm not saying nothing else. His name is the Superfly Jimmy Snooker. No, don't say that. Yeah. He had a good career. Uh, Cold case. <laughs> he was a he was a good worker, Jimmy, especially back in the day. Um, he's older here, obviously. I mean, he was old. He still for looked a long great. Time. He was old. He still for looked a long great. Time. Jimmy was old for a long. time. Um, yeah. But in fairness, he looked great. He could milk great. Uh, I mean, I thought it was a. I thought it was a. a yeah, it was a short match. It was kind of just more of a more of a, a match to get Rude over, which it did. Um, Heenan obviously goes away with with a bit. Heenan goes away with a victory. There's one for the family, and um, yeah, I mean, when Rick Rude walks away down the aisle. The back on that motherfucker is ridiculous. I was like, good lord. I Everything. Mean, never Everything. did leg day. That's the only thing. Austin always says that recruit hated leg day. He had skinny legs. <laughs> it's an upper body business. Exactly. Exactly. You know. Uh, I mean, who's looking at your calves when you've got faces on your ass? <laughs> Rick Rude, who uh, used to like to beat up the man that's going to be in the main event uh, a lot. Um, Once. Jay, but Jay still loves him. <laughs> How can he not? Look. You cannot deny talent, raw talent, in any industry in the world when you've got somebody who far exceeds the standard of exception in any particular aspect of whatever they're doing. Rick Rude looked like he was 20 years ahead of the program on this card. When he walked out, everything from the cut of his shape to every second that that camera was eating him fucking up. Not one second, not one gesture, not one piece, not one action, not one bead of fucking sweat was wasted on anything less than exceptional. When that man fell asleep, he was better than most people in life when they're awake. Like he, <laughs> he, If you would have took Rick Rude from that show... He showed up every other member of that cast for being a pioneer in the way a professional wrestler must carry himself at all times in front of the camera. He fucking ate up the lens and he didn't even know it was on him. It was just all the time on. He was exceptional. Whether it was his backstage integrity, whether it was his fucking ability, whether it was his active inability. I've watched Rick Rude matches where he throws nothing but a punch in 10 minutes, one dig, and then maybe a few fucking hip flurries. And he still, <laughs> you're like, that's exceptional. How did he dupe me into believing he was amazing for 10 minutes by phoning it in, literally? Like, you could tell when Rick Rude didn't want to be in the ring and when he did. And when he didn't want to be in the ring, he was better than most who loved being in the ring. Like, he, he just, he, if, you put, if you took him out of that card right now and placed him into this year's WrestleMania, he would still make the whole roster look like they were 10 years behind him. He was just so far ahead of the game in every aspect. It, it, it beggars belief that he didn't wear gold more. But again, some men don't have to. Some men are gold. And, well, I mean, exactly. he had his fair share of gold in WCW, obviously, after that, which is, 
which is good. And he did win the big strap. I know it was at a time where WSW wasn't quite nitro yet or anything like that. But at the same time, he was... Uh, I mean, he's, he's a character as well that a lot of people didn't want to work with because they were afraid of getting the shit kicked out of them. Um, but He deserves a book wrote by other wrestlers on him. Have you heard all the stories about this motherfucker? Like, oh, yeah. Challenging comes to arm wrestling competitions. Sitting yeah. his at the bar so he could start fights with men who came onto her. Like the, yeah. the guy's whole life is just like some fucking biopic saga. I mean, it, it, again, I'm pretty sure Rick Rude didn't even know he was a professional wrestler. He thought that was his real life. Well, I believe mean, he was related to Rambo. I'm hearing rumors that. <laughs> yeah. I am going to say this very. I'll say this very rarely. Rambo fucking wishes he was related to Rick Rude. Oh, now there we go. There we go. That's a big one. That is a big one. But no, Rick Rude, I have to say I agree. I mean, I'm with Jay. Loved a million bucks. I mean, he had yeah. psychology down to a T, bringing that role belt. I mean, that ridiculous, what, what people considered that ridiculous role, but it was just so, <laughs> it, was, it, it was there just so he could show that body off. Like, and then he'd show the body uh, like, what in the name of Jesus is this lad chiseled from, you know? Um, yeah, incredible, incredible. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was as I say, it was a, it was a bit of a it was a short match. It wasn't like a it wasn't an amazing match. It was only four minutes long, and it was the it was meant to put him over. That's what you were saying. Exactly. Yeah. And it was Absolutely. Just, it was the precursor to the main event, which we are going to get onto, and we're going to go straight in, no lube, no breaks. Um, we're getting into it. I mean, the amazing build up to this package, the video package for this is just this is classic WWE and what what separated WWE from. From anyone else, and, and basically what had guys like, you know, Greg Gagne and all these kind of the Grahams of this world sitting back and going, "Damn, we can't compete with this shit." <laughs> what the hell? Like, and I mean, obviously they'd gone, you know, they'd gone fucking nearly a decade ahead of these, but there was a lot of hanger on her still trying to uh, trying to be territorial and be national, but this was worldwide, um, and it was just world class. It was. Uh, you know, in terms of, I mean, you know, let's let's put a bit of context on it for, for people listening here because we are uh, we're in a position where some people will say that we were lucky enough to grow up in this era. You know, our age will probably say shit. We're yeah. old, <laughs> but uh, you know, we were lucky to grow up in this era because I mean, this was my second WrestleMania. But to be honest with you, I like to call it my first WrestleMania purely because I watched WrestleMania five, but I mean, I was. I was 89, I was five years old. You know what I mean? I knew what was happening. I knew who was who. But because I had seen WrestleMania 5, then I became hooked and then watched that whole year. And then that build-up between Hogan and the Warrior, between, you know, obviously the man, the world champion, the guy that, that that's established to this, to this next generation, this ultimate warrior, the guy that no one can put their finger on. What is he? Is he Native American? Does he get the powers from the gods? I mean, obviously, that was the idea, you know, from Hellwig's point of view, was that he wanted to kind of pay a bit of homage to Native American in that sense, and I, I kind of always appreciated that. Now more so than than I did at the time. But I was, you know, I was a Hulkamaniac. I have no problem saying that. Uh, Jay, I just was. I can't help that. But uh, at the same time, it was like, well, I can't dislike the Ultimate Warrior. Like, this guy is just, like... How can I not like this guy? You know what I mean? Um, what was it like for you, lads, in the build-up to this? Because, I mean, this was, 
you know, alongside of, of the, the build-up to, I mean, WWE, can I just say before we, we do it, <coughs> build-up that they've done the year previous with Hogan and Macho Man was incredible as well. I mean, that was a, that was a six-month build. And they, they went out and, and they done it on a shorter notice here from the Royal Rumble from January up here till April. Mm-hmm. So what was it like for you guys? We'll start off with uh, with you, Noel, because we want the main event to be Jay on this one. <laughs> oh, it was just it, it, it was kind of it was kind of unbelievable because it was like you know at the time you were so used to sort of babyface versus heel and the story played out, you know, and you you got what you got. But with this one, it was kind of like you might have been a Hulkamaniac, but you were probably a Warrior fan as well. Yeah, and it kind of like. For, for for me, it was kind of it was shocking at the time. Now looking back on it, when you hear all the stories about how Warrior was out shining Hogan, you know, in matches and in merchandise, and his time had come, and it was a changing of the guard. But you didn't see it at the time because even when when you were back then looking at it, like you know, you never thought of Hogan as getting on a bit, or you never thought of this whole changing of the guard kind of thing. And sure. you know, back then when you watched wrestling, you didn't realize that. You know, the Intercontinental belt was the stepping stone to the World Championship and all this kind of thing. And, you know, you just watched it for what it was. Yeah. And um, it was just, it was, it was amazing. As a spectacle, it was amazing. And but I just I just found it so exhilarating. There was two guys in there, you know, you know, I was batting for both of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was, in some respects, it was kind of confusing <laughs> that way as well. You know, because it was kind of like... It was two, it's back and forth, and like, um, I don't know, I just, I, I, I didn't think that Warrior would win. I remember at the time not thinking Warrior would win it. I didn't think anyone could beat Hogan. You sure? I just did Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then when he did beat him, when he did beat him, it was so shocking. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was, it was Spoiler probably... Spoiler alert. <laughs> Yeah. But he did when like he did when he beat him. It was just it was it was. I remember it being so shocking, and it was like it was just unbelievable. Like you know, Hogan had been beaten, and he had been beaten clean in the ring. You know what I mean? And it was just it was just one of those moments. It was unbelievable. It's one of those moments you carry with you for the rest of your life. You you always remember watching WrestleMania six. You always remember Warrior beating Hogan. Yeah. You know what I mean? You talk to people that aren't even wrestling fans. They'll talk about Hogan and Warrior. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and I think because we're, obviously we're not going to give too much away in terms of because we're going to talk about the match itself now. And, and it was uh, it was a spectacle because, I mean, up until this point, I mean, I think it was both of their best matches as well, which is a, a great thing. And it still holds. It still stands the test of time. Um, in, in terms of, I can see you nodding your head, Jay, but I'll, I'll explain what I mean in a moment. When I say best match, I know I mentioned on the last podcast that, you know, I think the Warriors' best match was probably either Savage or Rick Rude, personally. But up until this, this, this was the first one. Up until this time, it was both of their best matches in terms of on such a grand stage. You know what I mean? On such a big stage. It was, uh, it was definitely Warriors' shining moment up until this point. Um, Hogan had obviously had big matches, but they weren't necessarily great stories you know well there were good stories in terms of build up but they weren't great matches as Jim Ross or as Jim, Jim Cornette said right the build up to Hogan and Andre amazing like I mean it's box office it's box office but, <coughs> the match the match is a crock of shit like you know what I mean really yeah. if you're, you're going to watch the yeah. match as a whole so that's that's where I'm coming from that's the context I mean yeah. Carl 
why don't you uh, talk about the build-up side of things rather than the match itself, like, until we get to the match. In terms of the build-up for you as a kid, what was it like? You were obviously yeah. around with Jay at the time. Um, well, not as much, but, like, uh, in East, when, when I was in East Wall and Fairview, uh, Fair um, there were a lot of a lot of kids were into wrestling. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, of course, everyone was into Hogan and the Warrior. I, I, like I was saying earlier on, I was more into the... The mid card heels for some fucking reason. I don't they're fucking weird like that, you know. Oh, but uh, I know it. But um <laughs> but like like that, everybody was gearing up for this match. And I think we 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 touched on it on a previous podcast. Someone had to pick a you had to pick a side. Yeah. And like you say, it was so weird having two baby faces squaring off against each other. And it was such a bright, uh such a colourful match. With the the yellow and the green and the you know the red it was actually that's a good point. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I think uh, it was different, and that, to me, that was the changing of the way of I think of, of the way of of uh, viewing a match. You know, you didn't, it didn't always have to be babyface heel. It w- it could be actually f- two competitors fighting yeah. for a title. You know. Yeah. It was never going to be the same again. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and I, th- I think I think everybody. Absolutely loves that match. I love that match. I love yeah. it, even though I wasn't, as I say, I wasn't invested in the, the main players. But I still love it. It's it's an it's a spectacle. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was really it was really the Marvel versus DC of its time, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it was like it was it was the battle of two legitimate heavyweights. I mean, this felt like a big fight feel like boxing. This yeah. felt like Holyfield mm. and Tyson in their prime. This felt like Ali going in with fucking, you know, Ali going in with George Foreman. It was of that level and of that magnitude on a, on a yeah. basis. But, but, the, but the, funny, the funny thing about it, it was such a shared audience. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Because it wasn't even when you look at the crowd there in Toronto for the match. It was kind of like, it wasn't one way or another. They were just totally invested in the match on both sides. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because I remember as a kid, before we pass it over to Jay here, I, I, I remember as a kid even like, because I was lucky enough to have, you know, a decent family around me that liked watching, you know, stuff like that. They were, in, you know, my uncles and my dad and all, they were into the martial arts, they were into boxing. And at that time, they liked watching the wrestle too. So they actually enabled me as a kid. Like they enabled it. They were like, Oh, this is going to be great! And I used to remember hearing them in the kitchen going, "Oh, you're going to watch the Warrior and Hogan tonight, like you know what?" <laughs> you know, at that age, you think, "Oh, your dad and your uncles are your mates." You know what I mean? But you forget, like, that they're big boys having their beers, and they're talking to yeah. their mates, going, "Oh, lads, going to get the pay per view into it. You're going to watch Warrior and Hogan," and they yeah. got totally emotionally invested into it. Um, but Jay, the floor is yours because I know, I know this one meant a lot to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because you would have been in the same bracket as me. I was a major Hulkamaniac at the time. So you were a major warrior. Because obviously, Carl and Jay have kind of said that they were happy to sit on the outside. For me, it was like, I like this guy, but who does he think he is coming in taking this book, you know? <laughs> you know, that's the interesting thing about this match. I mean, look, the, the, there's so many layers and levels. And something's only as textured as you're willing to allow your, your mind to perceive. And, and the funny thing about this, this match was very important for many aspects. One... As a child, I mean, I, I'd, I'd come up. The first guy I ever marked out for was Corporal Kutchner. I know there's a couple of men here who remember that name. He was never any big well or big stick, but 
Mm-hmm. He was the soldier guy. He was fucking huge. He stomped around. He was rough house. He didn't have an awful lot of that technical skill or that ring ability or that psychology. You hear so many of these fucking 2020 vision fucking back chatting motherfuckers talk about. He just went there and there, stomp, stomp, stomp on one. And there was there was aspects of that. Like, again... The Steve Austin ahead of his time, if you will. Yeah, he was just get in there, rough and tumble, get ready. But he didn't last too long because for him it was still fucking real in his head, goddammit. <laughs> but... Uh, and then, then I remember switching allegiance. I, I marked out seriously then for Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I mean, that guy was he was he was Hulk Hogan with wrestling capability. Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, he, Ricky, God love him, never gets the credit he deserves simply because I think he had a messy legacy. What with losing the rights to his name and hopping companies at the wrong time and being overly gimmicked, but. Ricky Steamboat on his day is as good as any man who's ever laced up fucking boots in every respect, in any okay. regard, in physicality or wrestling, you know? And, and definitely, was... definitely uh, from a from a uh, from a humble human being point of view as well. Oh, he's the person that you want a wrestler to be. Ricky, Ricky Steamboat is all day long, ticks every single box, but he didn't have one certain aspect to him. And when the tour man, like I said, I, I've been watching for a few years, and then them curtains broke, that music hit, that fucking lunatic that ball of frenetic energy ran down and straight away everything you can write down on a piece of paper what makes something great goes out the fucking window because this lunatic is clotheslining people through life into the fucking canvas and he's down that bleeding walkway as quick as he came fucking in he's not even <laughs> celebrating half the time he didn't even take his icy fucking strap off we Knocks hunky for sticks. The world changes. Next thing you know, you don't understand what's wrong with your brain. You're chemically imbalanced. This motherfucker is making you feel hoys. You've never seen our fan else on TV before. You could sell a tape Airwolf to the ATM van, and it's still not this fucking lunatic <laughs> running down. Do you know what I mean? It was just shock and awe. It was blitzkrieg. This guy was fucking fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But uh, he, 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 it, it was different. It, he was different. His energy was different. His approach was different. Everything that that man was accused of, he applied to the wrestling business. And the men who talk smart about him in hindsight, they're also the same people who credit what he did with making other people great. I mean, yeah, sure, he wasn't too friendly in the fucking locker room. Sure, he wasn't the most precise worker in the business. But anybody who got a rub off the warrior made more money the next week. Anytime that he had a program, he was learning. This guy came in fucking green in what, 1985, 1986? In 1990, he's taking Hogan's fucking belt off him. A guy who spent four years wrestling chumps. And let's face it, if you got to see Hogan once every three months, fair enough having respect to the guy who holds the belt and is the apex in the business. But don't send him in against some fucking hack I'm never going to see again. Who the fuck is King Kong Bundy after Hogan disposes of him? Who the fuck is all of these goddamn guys Hogan for? He brought them in and was like... Get me the oddest bodied motherfucker you can find. Give me three minutes with him. I'll go over. They'll go away. And everybody wins. Nobody wins with that shit. When the Warrior came in, the first belt they put around him was the IC belt. Honky Tonk, he had a good run with it. There's no question about it. But name me five people Honky beat with that belt around his waist. You put that belt around the Warrior's waist and that thing has gravitas straight away. He takes a fucking mid-card title and defends it like it's something to have. It means something around his waist. When he runs down to the fucking ring with that icy strap on, I mean, Christ, he's still doing photo shoots with that icy strap on 20 years after it was taken off. When he, he dropped it, he dropped it to fucking Rick Rude. This man 
was a consummate TV professional who had a charisma which most men couldn't even dream of having. And I don't know what it was. We don't know what it was about him. But the fact is, if he was as nothing as most of the professionals who were in the locker room with him say he was, why the fuck are we still talking about him 20 goddamn years later? I mean, he wore that big belt once. Well, most men who had it had it several times. He was the first man to get it off the waist of that fucking gelatinous piece of shit who held the business back for five years with his title run. And as soon as that belt was off his waist clean, with his fucking shoulders in the middle of the canvas, straight away it lent a credibility to the big belt. If Warrior can do it, anybody can do it. And there was nothing harder than getting a fucking belt off Hogan. It was a job by Vinnie Mac. I'm going to take my own guy, I'm going to groom him to the WWF formula that I have in my head that I didn't get to do with Hogan because he was already AWA. He was, all, he was already running around with Billy Graham's fucking gimmick before I even got near him. He had the dirty taint of other territories. The warrior, he's my build. I built this fucker. Now go in there and take that goddamn belt off Hogan, get it off him, and then we can do what we want. And from there on, from WrestleMania 6, that belt became a title which was viable as a challenge. When Hogan had it, it was fucking nothing. Who gave a fuck about that? I know I didn't. You didn't get to see it very often defended. You know what you did get to see defended? The IC strap. And you know who wore it to the ring? The Warrior. And it meant as much to him as it meant to anybody. And you can see that at the end of that match. The cunts holding both of them up like they mean something. I mean, if Hogan had that belt for five years and was wrestling, how come he couldn't invest the credibility that the Warrior gave both of those fucking straps on that night? The game changed at WrestleMania 6. It okay. meant that nobody was impervious past money. Anybody could get in there and take the fucking belt. It meant anything could happen at the end at, at, at the end of the night. You know what I mean? Well, everything about the warrior was fucking perfect to the child's mind. He was the ship that launched a thousand fucking wrestling dreams. It it, it was fun. It, it was an energetic. It wasn't two men for an hour in a New Zealand fucking cage wrestling with holes that we'd never even fucking heard of. It was. I mean. What a match, like, I mean, 20 minutes, 20 goddamn minutes. The face well, paint was warm. I think, I think on that note, we're going to take a little pause for the cause, and when we come back, we're actually going to talk about the match. Because obviously Jay's emotional. We need to get Jay some uh, some time to breathe. He lives emotional. And when that we, was a love letter. That was the love letter from Jay Kennedy to the other love letter from Jay Kennedy to, uh, yeah, to the Warrior. So, Is uh, he when, wrong? Is he wrong? Well, we will see when we, when we come back. <laughs> Welcome back to the four pod men, and it is time to get into the main event. And the only way you can really do a main event of this magnitude is for everybody to take it a step back, take a pause for the cause, breathe it in, drink it in, whatever the hell you want to do, and just listen to this because words won't be able to explain. Right here. He's facing the challenge of his life, Gorilla. Well, you may have a point there, Jesse. 
Hogan's music is gone. Thank fuck. <laughs> Just like his title. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the entrances, yeah. So we do apologise for the lads coming in there on that. The, uh, the audio was still there. We heard Carol coming in saying something. <laughs> nah, but guys... That was just to give you an idea of the feel of that, of those two entrances, just the back of what we were saying. The electricity from, I mean, it starts off a warrior, which I agree, the electricity is just crazy. And then it's kind of like, you know, the old hoss is coming back in as well and the crowd are still fucking crazy. I mean, you know, what Vince would do to have those ovations on a consistent basis now, I mean, that was a three and a half hour show and the crowd didn't let up from the start and they saved the best to last. They literally screamed their little hearts out. Um, we get to the match, what, just just incredible lads. I mean, those two entrances as well, just watching them give me goosebumps. You know, it, it just, even when Hogan comes out there and watching it, it's that big fight feel, you know, and the Warriors stand and looking at him, you're like, this is happening. This is actually happening. And it's, it's, it's one simple psychology uh, kind of trick in wrestling that is not utilized probably in about fucking you know 25 years the two boys didn't have a match beforehand mm -hmm. they, they ran into each other sure they did the and they Rumble. each other to stare yeah. down and finally the warrior was someone that was actually as strong as Hogan so Hogan was going shit man I'm at the running into this guy how oh I have to go back and think here you know what I mean um, it was just, yeah, it was just an absolutely incredible narrative. Um, felt real, like I say, it felt like a big boxing match feel. It felt like Ali and Foreman. You know, Foreman's the the new guy coming up against the old guy, and it's it's just something the company has never recaptured. No, no. But like I said earlier on, it was for me. It felt like it was a for a championship rather than a like bad guy versus good guy type thing. It was a competition. Yeah. And that's, to me, yeah, what wrestling should be about. Yeah, there's two guys. But look, when we look at the match itself, we've obviously, we're going to do a little bit of a, I suppose, a little bit of a review on it. 
I mean, I thought personally the psychology behind it was great. It was move for move. It was slow paced. It was it was getting the crowd involved. There wasn't you know you weren't going to get any of this catches catch can kind of stuff starting off with you know there was there was feeling there was a feeling out process. There was test of strength. Yeah. Um, Hogan finally went down to the knee and that, and you were like, what in the name of Jesus? And again, it was going back to that uh, warrior kind of character that he was summoning the strength from the gods above just to take down this Hogan guy and. Hogan was like, how is this, you know, how is this happening? Then Hogan would get it back. You literally lived it like... Um, it was the best back and forth, probably storytelling, uh, before, well, up to that point, when you think about it. Because the yeah, match itself... Was, level, yeah, yeah the that. match itself was no great shake in terms of a uh, wrestler match. And that's not to take away from any of the, of the competitors. But the whole thing around it, the storyline, the build-up, the in-ring psychology between the two of them was flawless. It really well, was. Like the thing is, I would say, I would say that's actually perfect wrestling match as an example. And the reason I'll say that is purely because I know people always say, "Oh well, you know, every fan chants this is wrestling." And they're like, "No, it's not. It's Joey Ryan getting fucking someone to put their, their hand on his balls because he's a creepy little weirdo and yeah. flip them over." <laughs> um, fuck you, Joey Ryan, and I hope yeah, court battle too, you little. How do we segue to that? Uh, okay. <laughs> well, well, because because we were just saying there about well, because Carl was saying it wasn't a wrestling match, but it was. It was actually it was the quintessential wrestling match in the sense that it was. No, no, I, I said it wasn't a great wrestling match. I didn't oh, say it wasn't a sorry. wrestling match. Sorry, my apologies. No, but I in know terms of yeah, it wasn't a clinic. Yes, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, but it was everything a spectacle, everything not a clinic. Sur- yeah, yeah, everything surrounding it made yeah. it. W- yeah. Even better. Yeah. 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 No, I would agree with you there, Carl. Sorry, but like that's because that's he's not wrong. No, he's not. <laughs> he's not. Like it, and it's it. But it was the whole build-up too. Was the big boy feel of it. But what I'm yeah. I know initially, Carl, what you were saying, it wasn't like you know Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat for thirty minutes. Where yeah, like, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But um, in terms of the psychology in the match, I mean, I thought the two guys obviously came up well. I mean, that was that was mainly. You know, as far as I know, that was Patterson and Hogan kind of pitched the idea to Warrior, and Warrior was happy with that and, and liked the idea behind it. And they were able to kind of work together, and you could tell that that they worked together on that idea. And I thought the idea was 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 really good because it made Warrior look strong as well, but it also made Hogan look strong. Because look, yeah, of course Hogan in Japan can do a lot of different stuff that you, yeah, you don't always see. Well, in fairness, Jay, I mean, there's an aspect now. There is no, there's an aspect here that people not a lot of people appreciate. The simple fact is the Warrior always done what he was fucking told. There was only yeah, one man in that match who had a problem with doing a job. But li- no, no, it's nothing to do with the job. But look, let's like facts are facts, and this might hurt your heart a little bit, but it's true. It's not hurt me hard. Hogan could have good matches with the likes of the Great Muta in New Japan, and they were good wrestling matches. They were actual wrestling matches. Warrior wouldn't have been able to do that because Warrior didn't have that. Not arguing. Not. That's not all. I'm, that's all I'm saying. So what I'm saying is, I think that well, Hogan's strength wasn't that type of match with the Great Muta as well. I'm not he saying he also didn't bother giving the American audience that kind of match either. No, he didn't no. work in America for fucking seven no. goddamn years. Like, I agree. I agree. Choice. I agree. You're this lazy bastard. I think Hogan had the ability, but yeah, you're right. I think he was very lazy in that sense. Whereas I think the Warrior. It's nice I think having the ability, but if you're not going to put wares on the stall, you ain't selling shit. I agree. I completely agree. As I say, I'm not. I'm not. In that uh, respect, he held back the business from an American aspect. Why? Why, why is Japanese money? 
more credible than American or international money. Why, why do I hate Hogan? Why didn't I get to see Hogan wrestle properly? Why did I have to wait till YouTube was a thing before he actually showed me what he could do? I know he was trained by Muta. I know the man could go. Yeah. Never seen it, though. I'd agree, I'd agree, yeah. In any other business, you're called a hack when you do that. Yeah, I'd agree, I'd agree. It wasn't like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart and all these people that we mentioned last week putting their life on the line and, and you know, trying to one-up. As much as they well, hated each other, they gave each other everything in the ring. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Nobody, I, I gave nobody anything. But I think this is, this is the match for the Warrior, as I say, that I think it makes him shine, you know, because it, it was a 20-plus minute match. Um... But, but he was able to go hold for hold, and it was perfect because he, he you know, it was good for his stamina. His stamina was actually fine in this. You know, he always talks about blowing up, but the way he conserved his energy in this match, I thought was perfect. Um, I just and I love the way the face paint wears off throughout the match. You know, yeah. Like, oh, you're getting yeah, he finishes with nothing on him. Yeah, yeah, you're getting to see the face here. Like it was, uh, I loved it. The chest fucking face paint as well. I think it, you know, yeah. I, I just think personally. Um, I, I think I don't think it's you know we established that I think personally the the best match the warrior had was with Savage or Rude. Um, no question. When he dropped the belt, mm-hmm. Rude is my favorite yeah. match the warrior had. Yeah, I think that's the best match he ever had. He even dropped in a German suplex in that as well off the ropes. Which he, I was, yeah, was and so he did try to learn. And you're right, we knew Hogan can pull out matches when he wants to pull out matches, but that. You know, that is also a bit of an annoyance for a lot of uh, real wrestlers and real wrestling fans too when you know you have it, but you don't deliver it, you know, so. Um, yeah, but what does, what, does real, what, what, does, what does real wrestling mean? You know well, you what I mean in reality? Well, you know what it means. Oh, no, but you, know what it, but you know what I mean in terms of that. There's a lot of interpretation on that. There's yeah. no doubt the effect that Hogan had on the business and how he transcended it and made it into this huge spectacle that it was and stuff like that. Regardless well, of whether, real like... Real wrestling is a veteran dropping into a field of orange juice or a super kick party or, uh, you know, dick flips or any of the modern shit that you see nowadays outside of the yeah. That's not real wrestling. But if you look if you look down the ages of a lot of the guys that we versus Jimmy Uso. Yeah, but if you look yeah, but if you look if you look at the guys that we look at down through the years that we revel about, most of them only had a fairly limited sort of move set and they learned how to work around that and put themselves over and put other guys over and stuff like that. Like you look at look at all the greats down through the years. Look look at the likes of Triple H or guys like that and all. They always had a very limited Move set, you know what I mean? He's not wrong. He's well, not wrong. Use, well, let's not use Triple H, we'll use someone else. Uh, no, I'd agree. I'd agree. Oh, no, so, even, so even, 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 even Bret Hart, like, like Bret Hart didn't have to do like 20 moves in a match. No, no, but this, you know what I mean? this is what I'm going to say to you now. This is why I was going to go on your point. Real wrestling is actually being able to work in between those moves and build up to yeah. those moves and tell a story. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. that's that's what it is, and I think that's what yeah. this match actually uh, brought oh, out yeah. for the Warrior and brought out for Hogan. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I'm going to interject here in between you and say is about right in the sense that there's many perceptions of what real wrestling is, but the simple fact is one determining factor mitigates what actual real wrestling is, and that's how many people pay to see it. You can Very have true. the realest wrestling match in the world. But if yeah. nobody going to pay you to see it, you ain't got fucking shit. Yeah. It's a combination. Yeah, it's a combination of, of, of 
promotion. Selling, of, selling. Literally, selling. how many tickets you're selling at the box? Nobody gets to be in the trade if ain't nobody watching. And exactly, yeah. We've probably you know, seen some of the best. We probably, for all we know, there's probably been the best wrestling match ever told at some little bingo hall somewhere in, you know, Georgia or something. For all we know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think, but I think, but I think in terms of Hogan, Hogan came up through a situation there where you know. He had a lot of really good matches in Japan and stuff like that and all. But I think he suddenly, I think he kind of, in a way, copped onto the business in a way and turned around and goes, well, you know, I don't need to be doing drop kicks off a balcony when I can just hook up and get the crowd going. So he, he sort of recognised very quickly from a psychological point of view that he had the crowd in his head just by shaking his head and shaking his arms. And, you know, you, you can't fault him from that. I, I don't know whether, I don't know whether we're doing the man a disservice by calling him lazy. You know what I mean? I agree with you. Know that. What I, mean? I think I think he just I think he just figured out how the business was gonna work at that time, and that's that was his stick. You know what I mean? I'd go even one more. I'd go one more than that. What I would say was, as soon as the boss realizes he he has a man who can sell a million tickets, he tells the man, "You minimize your shit. You do not get hurt, and you stay able to work for me whenever I call you." Yeah. And we've seen it. But I mean, even yeah, but even even at that stage, the work was quite limited for those guys anyway. You know, we were still going through a kind of a an iffy kind of system, even at nineteen ninety. Well, yeah, you know, it's not it's not like it's not like Hogan was out on the road doing the house show circuit five nights a week and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Most of those guys were reasonably well protected. Well, if you think about it as well, like there's a reason like Hogan never wanted to work rude because he was afraid that rude was too uh, too stiff or whatever, right? Uh, and he was right. <laughs> because Hogan didn't want to work anybody who could go. I think I think that was the thing. And I think but but what Niall's saying is kind of isn't it kind of right? Because if you're having a Rick Rude match versus Hulk Hogan for the World Heavyweight Championship, then you know obviously Hogan's like as big as Rude is, he's twice the size of him, he's just a monster. So he has to have an actual wrestling match. Yeah. Now Vince is also going by what Niall was saying there, which I think is true. Vince is also going to say, that's not going to make sense for me. But Mr. Perfect versus Hulk Hogan, Mr. Perfect can sell for him and it's Shawn Michaels 2.0. Um, it's not going to do a lot for us. You know what I mean? In terms of business. So we have to have people that are bigger than Hogan to make him look like the Hulk. You know what I mean? That he is, basically. Um, you know, a lot of that might have been down, yeah, it might have been down to Hogan, but Vince was the one calling the shots too, you know? Yeah, no, no. Daddy says when you can go and when you can't. But there's, yeah. there's also another, right? again, my issue with being so, I suppose, defensive about the Warriors' body of work is the things I'm hearing out of the mouth to slam them from a professional perspective, not from a fan perspective, are usually the things that you get accused the person speaking of as well. Like, I mean, in a retrospective career DVD, you look at fucking... From the minute the the warrior took the belt off Honky, all the way up till his uh, means much more than this WrestleMania fucking seven match with the retirement match with, with with Macho. The people who he's fought, he always got in and did what they wanted with him. They always worked well. Do you know what I mean? Whereas with Hogan, yeah. it was the same match against for seven years in in the same company. He can bust out a decent match once every four or five years if he wants to, but he doesn't. It's still the same six things, the same fucking hook up, the same leg drop. I've never seen Hogan honestly drop something until it came to the Warrior. Whereas Warrior has no problem with dropping straps. The, 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 yeah. the business is the business. He gets in there, he does what he's told to do. 
which is a malleable fucking performer who meets whoever he's meeting in the ring in the middle. Like, his honky-tonk match wasn't like his Rick Rude match. His Rick Rude match wasn't like his Hogan match. His Hogan match wasn't like his fucking Undertaker match. His Undertaker match wasn't like Papa Shango fucking shit. All of his matches were 50-50 in the middle with whoever he was working with. And they were always the precise and perfect time for the match to work and make. Yeah. Psychological. Yeah, but I totally agree with that. But what what I would say to you as well is, if we assume that that match at WrestleMania 6 and the magnitude of it was the changing of the guard and the changing of the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's where it all changed and that's when Warrior went on and this is all that happened. But prior to that, I mean, anyone running that business at the time prior to that wouldn't have been in a hurry to take the strap off Hogan. He was the cash cow. Oh, at yeah, a time yeah. where, and you got to remember, you're only talking three WrestleManias before that when they nearly went bust. Yeah, 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 yeah. From a you business, know, so you got to see it from that point of view as well. You know what I mean? Like, I, think if anyone, I think if anyone, any of us were booking at that time, we probably would have. Hogan probably would have been the man to book. Like, would, would, you, would anyone would have you, booked perfect as champ? As a wrestling fan, though, would you not have liked to have seen Hogan in the ring, shown us what he can do at least once every two years? But see, at that time, you got to remember at that time when we were going through it, no one knew a lot about Hogan's Japanese career. I agree. They were totally. You know shouting. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I, like I did. I, did, I like at the time when I was following Hogan. Then I didn't know about Hogan versus Milder. I didn't know about all this. For me, Hogan was the elbow, the leg drop, the hooking up, the, the running around the ring, all that kind of psychology yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like Hogan going in there and doing like a thirty-minute proper wrestling match. You know, with hold for hold and all that kind of stuff, and breaking different stuff out and doing drop oh, kicks it? and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That's not what it was for me. Yeah. I, I think um, wrestling goes through phases. You have proper wrestlers, then you have storytellers, back to start wrestlers again, and, you know, it, it goes around in cycles, yeah. I think, you know? Like if, I, if, I had been, if I had been watching at the time, if I had been watching Dan at the time and seeing Hogan doing sort of chain wrestling and, you know, drop kicks and all this kind of stuff, that would have that would have felt weird to me. That would have been mm. who's this guy? Yeah, but I mean, even, <laughs> even even from an aspect of him muddying the waters, right? I mean, I, I was watching this fucker. He was there as long as any of the guys that I marked out for early. And even as a child, I picked up immediately on what the television was telling me, simply because that was the stream of information I was receiving. I knew Hogan was a dirty fuck. He had a heel move set, even though he was a babyface. I knew he could talk to the crowd. I knew everybody was going nuts for him. I understood. I could see the charisma. Like I mean. I'm an Elvis fan since I'm four. I understand charisma. But I also understand back rakes, eye gouges, running eyeballs down the fucking ropes. And, and I'm looking at him going, yeah, this is the same match I'm watching every time this fucker's in the ring and I'm not getting mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you know the funny thing about that? Because we didn't get the saturation of the match as much, it probably, for me anyway, personally, it didn't feel that way. Because I wasn't watching Hulk Hogan every week. So when I did get it, it wasn't as familiar. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I get yeah. you. I get you. And as a yeah. protected you know entity, I mean? and you know what? There's a, there's an interesting uh, comparison here because I'll put my hand up and I'll say there's aspects of this progress. Well, I, I touched on it in the last episode about how there's an aspect of me which cherishes and protects whatever innocence or last vestige of innocence childhood holds, and. I fell for it again until 
the big man in his Hall of Fame speech called him out and said, you know, there's one guy in this crowd who gets it. Where are you, John? John Cena. He's the one who gets the business. I fucking hated Cena up until that point. And then I kind of retrospectively considered Cena's career. And it's obvious that the boss man turned around to Cena and did the exact same thing to him that he did to Hogan, only Cena was much more regular, much more honest, and much more in your face. But the five moves, moves of doom, do you know what I mean? This this cliche about Cena. The boss yeah. told him to protect his asset, get these moves over, give these five to everybody, we'll feed you, don't worry about who and what they say about you, just keep it yeah. up, and we'll fucking market you till you're the biggest thing in this business. And it worked again. It was the but the, but the funny, uh, the funny, the funny thing about it. If you go back down through all your history there, and even if you go back down through the territories, there's always been that guy at some point through yeah. history. Yeah, there's always been that guy. That guy is now. We could argue now that guy is now Roman Reigns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, guy yeah. was Brock Lesnar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of. There's Lesnar always been that kind Lesnar, of guy. You know what I mean? But even 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 if you look, even if you look down, even if you go back through AWA or NWA. There's always been that Ric Flair. There's always been that Dusty Rhodes. There's always yeah. been that Sting. There's always been that guy. But to, to, it's never not there. To a certain stage, you can get away with it in the territories because they're dark matches. I mean, you can show 50 rooms once a week the same match and they'll never communicate on the internet the way we do. So retrospectively as well, we can we can always fucking hoo-ha shit. But yeah. you're, you're not wrong. There, there's always been the protected guy, the protected asset. And once you hone... Your match, it's like honing your set live. When you become a greatest hits band, like the Rolling Stones don't roll out and play, you know, track seven off their third album, which nobody's ever heard. They give you banger, 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 encore, over. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you, you can see there's, there's men who are consider themselves professional wrestlers and there's men who consider themselves cultural superstars, for want of a better fucking term. And I can see Roman trying to wiggle out of the, I don't want to be the five move of doom guy. I want to be a credible locker room wrestler. I'm not me uncle. I'm not me cousin. I want to be this industry's fucking leading light. I want to be, okay, I'll do your five moves of doom, but I also want to add shit. I want to do different shit here and there. Wherever you feed me, I want to meet their match in the middle, kind of merge the two move sets and get over with a body of work that says, yes, I was Vince's golden child, but you know what? I could fucking go when the time was right. Well, Hogan, I don't get that so much. But again, it's not. But, I don't, I, but I, I, don't, I don't know whether anyone believes that about Roman Reigns. And I know we've diversed a bit. But I don't know whether anyone believes that about Roman Reigns. John Cena was that kind of guy in the beginning as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah, got yeah. dropped down very quick. Yeah, yeah. But that wasn't the shit and all the early day shit, yeah. Yeah, but then if you but if you look at John Cena, like his body of work is kind of without question, isn't it? It if is. Back over the last 10, 15 years. He's the ship that launched a million t-shirts. There's no questions about it. But the thing about John is, he, after post-career, he's getting over very well. And towards the latter day, he, he, he's very tongue-in-cheek. He's very, he, you're getting comedic aspects to John Cena now when you look back and go, I remember when I hated him because he was shy. But now I realize he wasn't shy. I was shy for not saying that I was being worked again and not realizing it. Whereas with Roman, I see him trying to struggle off that fucking short leash. Do you know what I mean? He wants to be a heel yeah. now. He doesn't want yeah. to be. I don't want to be big, big match John. Yeah. I want to be the big dog. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, I, think it's the pro- I think the problem with some of those guys is when it suits them to play the rock card, you play it. Yeah, I'm, 
and well, again, like I said, this is it all came, it all culminated. I watch once a year whenever I need to feel emotions. I'll watch his Hall of Fame speech. I just can't help it. I need to. I need to. Uh, it's reconnecting again with that aspect of my childhood, which I never want to lose. I'd, I'd prefer to be buried with it. And when he calls out John and makes it clear in front of a room full of his whole peers, men who had sat down and talked shit about him all his fucking life for that 20 years he was missing, and he points out seeing it and says, he gets it. He gets the business is bigger than us. It's about the little fellas, and it's about, you know. See, Cena had a similar path in terms of, Cena yeah. had so much hate for him as well. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. As a per- credibility to his person, he dealt with it better than most. And again, I'm only appreciating aspects of his personality as a human now. Now, yeah. when I look back at all John Cena matches, like he had a whopper against Roman Reigns one of yeah. them years. Remember Reigns came in on the, 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 yeah, the, the, the kind of sad, yeah, the kind of sad thing for us was if only Warrior had a stuck around and got through, like the way Cena did. Yeah. Well, this is the, another aspect of the Warrior that I'm piecing together through other people's shoot interviews. Like, you remember that time when he went into the the office and demanded the 500,000 cash? It was yeah. bad news. Alan that put him up to that. Alan even yeah. says it on a fucking, on a shoot. He's like, yeah, Warrior came to me. He goes, how much do you think I should get for this? And he's like, well, how much is the guy you're against in the ring getting? And he's like, well, this much. Is like, well, then maybe that's what you're worth too. And you're kind of thinking going, Maybe there's an innocent malleability to this man's character that he isn't in the business 20 years and he's believing these men who are never going to be near his wage structure. Do you know what I mean? And they're in his ear going, oh, you, you're worth more, you're worth more. You know, like, you know, like when you're on a building site and you send the apprentice off to go look for fucking skirting ladders or sky hooks? I, I don't know, but do, do, do you not think Warrior was well aware of his value? Like, no. would you really? No. I, I don't know. No. I think, I think he was because everyone was in his ear telling him that he was selling out merch. He was this. He had transcended. He was out selling Hogan. So he, yeah. he must have known his value to the business. He was, but as a I mean, human, there was an innocence to him that you can only shake off when you're in a business twenty fucking years and you're chewed up yeah. and spat out. Do you know what I mean? Oh. The see him in on stage there's a reason he asked Linda McMahon to fucking introduce him do you know what I mean that was the biggest <laughs> Vinnie Max bullshit ever do you know who I'm going to get to induct me your fucking missus do you know what I mean like there was an innocence to him there was... I don't know yeah I don't know I don't know I, I just I think I think sometimes if, if we go down that road with him I think, yeah. I think we deal with disservice in terms of the intelligence of the man you know that that's that's where I'd be coming from. I I I, I don't think Warrior when he got to that point. Like, is he really like bad news, Alan? I think the Warriors. <laughs> legacy, I mean, I mean, Warriors legacy when it comes to because you know there's lots of people that will say lots of things, and in fairness, you know you can't always take what people are saying, you know, as as truth, especially when it comes to the pro wrestling business. It? People people will always have an agenda. Um. There's been some bad stuff that was said about Warrior that is probably true. There's been some bad stuff said about every wrestler that's probably true. Do you know what I mean? You catch any motherfucker who's meant to work 300 plus days. Yeah, but it's never been this way. There was a script. There was a hatch job script done for fucking 15 years. It's never been this way against anyone. Well, let's let's look at someone like Scott Hall, right? And I don't mean... I know I've done this on a couple of uh, podcasts.
podcast now, but I do actually want the reason I have a bit of a bit of a problem with Scott Hall, and it is true. It's because it wasn't just that Bret Hart said it. A number of other wrestlers said it. They were all at that same Comic Con. He had just literally got the only fan. The well, not the only fans. What was it? You know the where they can. It's Scott Hall only fans. Although you could picture, uh, you could picture, you could picture uh, yeah. Ramon watching OnlyFans or subscribing to it. Um, he is a bit creepy. <laughs> um, no, but remember the the GoFundMe. Um, he got the eighty grand for his hip. He got his brand new hip uh, replaced. And there was a kid that was doing. That's what Brett said, and I think it was um, it was actually Animal had said it as well. Got rest in peace, Animal. By the way. Animal only passed away this week. We probably failed to mention at the start of this podcast a uh, huge, you know, huge kind of respect to his family and his, his friends and all that. Um, another one of the good ones gone, but he's uh, he's up asking Hawk now to to tell them. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but we don't lament warriors. We celebrate them. Absolutely, but but no, there was a, there was a, there was a narrative. There was a story about Scott Hall which I didn't like. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna follow it up with a, with a second story. He um, there was a kid that was dying. I think he was only I think he was like 15 or something, and you know I think he had leukemia or something like that. And all he wanted was for each card to be signed. And Scott Hall wouldn't sign it without payment. Every other wrestler had signed it. And Bret Hart even said it. He goes, "Dude, like the fans are literally just after paying for your hip, like you know, from from your little sock story." Because you did this to yourself. This kid didn't do this to himself. And Brett just said, no, that was the day I realized Scott Hall is actually just a piece of shit. And Scott Hall's ripping on Brett. Oh, he has shrines to himself. You can tell when Scott Hall talks, he's not a nice human being. Um, you know, and that's just an example. I mean, a mate of mine, Ted, that got me the, uh, you know, Ted, um, Noel, going to give Ted a shout out here. He was all, He went yep. over to New Orleans himself to WrestleMania. That's who got me that uh, Warrior T-shirt that I gifted to you, um, Jay. Um, he was he was in the queue with uh, Scott Hall waiting for a, a flight, and he was like, "Oh my God, that's Scott Hall!" He went over to Scott Hall and asked him uh, for an autograph, and I believe the words were, "Oh fuck off, dickhead." And he said on the plane a little bit later on, Scott Hall went, "Oh, I'm sorry for calling you dickhead. I'm just a bit tired," ho, 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 and walked off. But, like, if that's your first reaction to fans, that's why Vince didn't need you. That's why when you were brought back as a lifeline with the NWO, that you got chewed out after your match with Austin because Austin smelled drink off you and went, get the fuck out. And if Stone Cold Steve Austin's telling you you have too much drink on you, you know. So I'm just giving Scott Hall an example because he tries to come across as this bad guy. Bad times don't last, bad guys do. You're 100% correct, yeah, because you are a bad guy. You know, if that's if that's if that's what you do to the fans, whereas I never seen the Warrior do that. You know, I didn't see Brett do that. I didn't see Michaels even do that. You know, it's just um, and yeah. So I am going to call that out for that very very reason. Like they 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 are real bad people that don't deserve a spot in pro wrestling and deserve. Some of them believe their own bullshit. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there's they a man. Yeah. You know, there's a man that thinks he had a great wrestling match at WrestleMania 10. No, your opponent had a match with a ladder. So, <laughs> again, in his day, in his day, no, before he, he started he believing was, his own he was, bullshit, he was good. Listen, Razor was a good. He wasn't great. He was good. He had a gimmick. He had a character. 
But again, you're not wrong, Ian. Some men start to believe when they go to sleep at the end of the night, they are who they were told to read a script off. Like They start to believe around bullshit, you know? But again, you guys... Let's. I think we should probably because obviously this has been the end of WrestleMania six. Let's uh, let's let's maybe put put a pin in that now, and um, because I definitely do believe that we've had one of one of the best shows tonight. Especially, you know, it's our first pay per view review. So well, me and the shopkeeper kind of segued off many a times there. That's into okay. That's okay. Seventeen discussions. <laughs> this is this is this is what this is all about, lads. Passions run deep, baby. It's all, it's all about context. It's all about yeah, and, and you want to put context, and yeah, sure, I segued as well. But like sometimes stories about bad people doing bad things need to be called out as well. Do you know? Um, yeah, it's all right for DDP to put a little package on it and go, oh, feel sorry for this guy because oh, it's got him. But yeah, it's how you it's how you actually your real personality should shine through from from when you're at your lowest, and the people reach out to fucking you help know, you at your lowest. That's that's where you're... Forgive me, but I'm going to segue back to our original conversation and there is one thing that will always stand with me just when, you know, when they say talk about breaking the fourth wall, I'm going to bring it back to the end of that match. This, again, I could sit here and talk about Hogan and Warrior for the next 12 hours and <laughs> contexts and aspects and layers and fucking niches of the tapestry. But with all the crowd dulled down when those two men went into the ring with that fucking frenetic energy and that charismatic enigma that is that hot dog looking gelatinous piece of shit they let it all between bells subside and there's a lovely moment at the end of it and again one of them duplicitly tries to kind of usurp the other spotlight and again this innocence I'm talking about and I'll call him when, when sometimes you see flashes of Hellwig. And at the end of the match, when Hogan jumps down and Gorilla Monsoon actually says, oh, he's gone to grab his belt. <laughs> well, now, son, after that three pain count, it ain't his belt no more. But the man gets in the ring and in this magnanimous display of humility, passes the belt to the warrior. And again, like I said, trying to usurp him in front of all of these people, the mask is off, the facade drops. Warrior sees big man handing him the big gold and just fucking grabs him, bear hugs him in this big, lovely hug. And again, this is two aspects of each character with both of their facades dropped. Hogan trying to usurp the spotlight and fucking Hellwig's innocence over, overcoming his emotion and just grabbing him in a big fucking bear hug. And, you know, means much more than this. For that moment, for that two or three seconds where both of the men dropped the facade of professional wrestling and none of the crowd's silent, just everything, the lights are off, background noise doesn't matter, commentary team can't be heard, and you get the two men, the two biggest men in the sport for a year and a half, just fucking hugging. And it's just, there's, there's an aspect to that, that even to this day, as much as I hate the other fella, you know, it makes you feel good. It's yeah. a culmination to the end of it. We were made to choose for 25 fucking minutes as to who was the best in the world ever, and all of that bullshit's dropped, and it just even... Like I said, past kayfabe, the moment stands. The moment stands the test of time. And all of the bullshit, all the money, all the cheers, all the accolades, all the sweating, all the training, all the prayers and all the, all the steroids, baby. None of that bullshit matters. You've got just two men who entertained for 22 minutes to the best of their ability at that time, at that point in time, just enjoying the moment. And I, 
What else can you say? And it sends us all home with that air of hope. Well, you know what? That is a great way to, to, to finish up because that is a great way to send everyone else home with hope. Be nice. Be the ultimate warrior. Be Hulk Hogan. Don't be Razor Ramon. <laughs> um, <laughs> ever. 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 <laughs> Don't set up GoFundMes if you're, you know, dashing young ladies and you want to set up OnlyFans or if you're dashing young men and want to dashing through the holes. <laughs> Go ahead and do that. Like. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, 100%. It's been a great show. I think it's a, it's a great way to end it. Impassioned. Yeah, very impassioned show. Um, there's going to be more of this, ladies and gentlemen. As I say, next week we are going to, uh, when this is up, we're going to, we're, we're going to, Pass the torch on to you once again, and what you will decide what we speak about, um, and we will we will come up with a couple of topics and give you the chance to devote on them and see what you want us to talk about. RJ, Ready? Excuse me. But look, let's put the rockers in there as someone to. I'm joking. I I am joking. But we will come up with someone properly. We'll have a couple of choices for you. And uh, you'll be able to decide what it is that you want to talk about. But look, for me, Ina Dynamo Kelly, I'm over and out. Noel Hogan, the shopkeeper. Cheers. DJ Kennedy. Ow! And the mighty Carl King Wall. He's muted, so he's just giving you the, the, the finger. Um, we are. Adios, over- adios, amigos. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm kidding. Over <laughs> and out, guys. Until next time. We are more pod men and we will be back.